I think we're up and running. I think we might be live. Let's see if the uh, notifications go out. Uh, so while we're waiting on for the notifications, um, I'll be right back. You stay right here. Go ahead and bring a live thorn. Ain't no giant, I ain't gon' fire on. Catch a fade, you I'm wrong, I'm gone. Y'all can catch the wig that I am on. I am icon, y'all are wide ball. Think that I'm a wrecking sidewalk. So ain't nothing to it, though. This is all me, ain't got much to do with who you know. Keeping it true from 10 L's into a milli, though. But they already knew that those for up to your opinions, though. They hear something. This is all me, ain't got much to do with who you know. Yeah, keeping it true to from a day ahead. He knew that you were going to This is all me, ain't got much to do with who you Yeah, keep it a true to but they already knew that that's what you would do. Let's do uh, a little let me jump in here today. real quick here. And let me turn that off. And let me pull this in here. All right. Here I am. So basically, we're doing the cash show. And and last time, I don't know, catch this might be a dangerous thing here with cash because he wasn't here the last time I did my Wednesday show and it got a little rowdy. So basically, let's see if we can bring in cash real quick. All right. Let's see. Uh there he is. Uh, there's cash. Um, he's finally back on, you know, we got him on, on the show. Um, we're able to track him down after uh, witness protection ended. And, you know, we were able to snag him here. Uh, I think he even taught up. Oh, what are you doing there? What are you, what are you doing behind there? Cash. 
Oh, look at that. We're going to also, I'm going to unmute his mic uh, because he's off punishment. Hang on right here for a second. Let me unmute. His, oh, you got your mic unmuted? Good. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm back. I was on my uh, on my vacation. Yeah, three weeks. Three weeks in a row you missed You missed the appointment. <laughs> driver missing the appointment three weeks in a row, you guys. <sighs> you got to do what you got to do. What have you been doing, Cash? What have you been doing? Dude, buying trucks, trying to get things fixed up, and then um, freaking moving freight at three in the afternoon when customers call losing their minds and need to move stuff last minute. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been interesting. Yeah. So basically you're finding out that customers are not as organized as you might think they are, and at the last minute they're like, hey, move this now. Uh, Yeah, well, and then, you know, trying to get them to understand that, uh, you know, that costs money. A lot more money. Uh, yeah, I know. Next day air is definitely different than, you know, sticking a stamp in the mailbox and, and letting it go normally. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's all right. I have been doing, uh, today was an uh, immense day for me. We got these two monstrous tanks that we have to move and, and I have to know to contact police departments and all this other stuff and get pricing on that. So just so you know, if anybody's aware, oh, I wants to know, uh, approximately let's say 300 miles through the state of Arizona with police officers is about $10,000. Uh, so I'm not sure how that works, but I, we have to pay 10 grand for them to run. I, I thought they were paid by taxes, um, but not when they're, I guess, escorting oversized freight. So it's about 10 grand. If anybody wants to use some police officers and run through the state of Arizona, and I'm not even sure if it's 300 miles. I think it'll be less than that actually, to be completely honest. <laughs> That's a that's a high dollar uh, a high dollar um, overtime. Yeah, yeah that's pretty much. Uh, it's you know there. Obviously, we take off duty police officers, so we have to figure out which ones are going to be off duty by the time we get there, and and then they show up, and then they escort us, and we get to run red lights allegedly, and um, just isn't, keep isn't it slightly isn't it slightly entrapment? Yeah, you would think you would think we'd still have to obey them, but we normally, like I said, when we're doing that, they usually run us through, and it's usually like three cops. So you have one behind, and then one front lead one, and then another one. And the front lead one, they're constantly swapping. Uh, well, no, I mean like entrapment in the sense that you have to use a cop, but then you have to use their rate. Yeah, it. it I think it is what it is. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we're gonna have to entrapment, in my good. opinion. Yeah, that actually, if you think about that, yeah, that's actually a good point. I'm not gonna have a, I'm not gonna discuss that with them before I do load. Uh, but uh, maybe after we can have the conversation, I get the bill. Uh, but right. not not before I get the bill. I don't know something to think of. So are, are they net thirty? They're net immediately. <laughs> net up front. Yeah, they're basically net immediately. Um, here's your bill. Of course, you're gonna call right now. I and did you not? Am I streaming? Who's calling me? I have no idea who this is. So, a cop. If yeah, it's probably the cop. You're gonna ten grand. I'll have to call him back. Oh, you put a cop on hold. Yeah, I'll call him back. They'll they'll deal with it. So, basically, uh, you weren't here last week, and you probably don't watch my shows, anyways. Um. (laughs) <laughs> we got actually pretty there's some pretty heated debate back and forth um in regards to some stuff i did like a reaction to a you know to a, a driver um who thought brokers took like 120 percent markup uh on oh, low 
Oh, God, me too. I wouldn't be on YouTube. You'd never see me. I swear to God. It's a cop. It's a cop. You better do what you got to do. Handle the show. You want me just to run everything? Yeah, just talk. You can just talk. About what? Your cop? We'd like to hear your conversation. I think, honestly, everybody want to hear your conversation. Anyway, yeah. No, I was gone all the last couple of weeks. Um, I've been... I ended up buying a truck uh, from a guy who ended up uh, passing away in a truck and we ended up purchasing that truck. And then we ended up um, purchasing the truck, cleaning the truck, getting the truck up and running. And um, in between that, then I got sick. And then when I thought I was clear from being sick, the family got sick right after that. So I was on kid watch and uh, doing uh, family dad duties. And so I was wrapped up in that for an entire week. And then at the end of that week, when I thought I was going to definitely be on, that's when I got swamped into a truck situation. And then uh, once we cleared the truck situation, then we finally got to the point where we're at now, where I'm finally free after being fired. And uh, so <clears throat> hopefully, hopefully the drama doesn't get out of hand tonight. But uh, if it does, man, I'm, I'm more than happy to uh, see what's going on. No Oh no, sounds like a long few weeks. Yeah, no, definitely a long few weeks. It has been, man, it was crazy because I was here at a, I was like Wednesday at, uh, I think it was here Wednesday at one thirty in my office. And all of a sudden I just felt like crap. The next thing you know, I was, I was gone. So I was, I was out. Is that the cops? Is it the cops? No, that was the state of Nevada. The state of Nevada was contacting me to tell me about the route that I can and cannot take. So, yeah, so I'm still working. So, you see what I'm saying? It's 530, and I'm still doing this stuff. Well, this is what you get when you want to do an early show. You didn't wait till the government office is closed. That's the problem. <laughs> your government office, I thought, closed at noon. So, I guess I'm I'm wrong because of, you know. No, not it, when they're collecting your money. They'll stay up I, as long as they need to. Yeah. So, I, I'm going to have to touch base with her in the morning because I got to get the carrier on the phone. Either way. Ah, uh, it's been helter skelter. So, did you already ruin the show or what? where are we at now? No, I was just letting people know what I was doing on my hiatus. I was uh, after being so rudely fired by you. Yeah, uh, you actually were fired. I forgot about that. See, this is what happens when you fire me, though. You get into fights with people on freaking YouTube, and then the next thing you know, the freaking YouTube's trying to ban you and set your channel on fire. Well, yeah, they did, pretty much. I got shadow banned. I know that, but I don't think it was because of that show. It was probably because of other shows. Either way. So, <laughs> I did pull some stuff. So I, after kind of you know, rolling through some of the stuff on you know, different spots and stuff and, and having some people send me some stuff, um, I did get pull something out of a group here. Let me pull this. Let me turn my camera on. See what camera this is going to give me. Uh, if I turn on my display, is it going to be this camera? Which, Yeah, it's going to be the end of this loop here. Way too much cool stuff. I know. We're going to pull this down. I feel like half your half your show is you nerding out over your own camera. I feel like half my show is me screwing things up and giving. <laughs> so tell me about the argument, though. Like, what argument did you get into with drivers and stuff? Yeah. So uh, one of the, the topics that I did, I get into in another show was fuel surcharge. That was one. And then uh, fuels basically, which is a boring conversation, fuel surcharge in regards to there's no fuel surcharge on the spot market. And people were saying, you know, yes, there is. I'm like, no, there's not. And then the last topic I got into was uh, a driver that was supposed to debate me that wouldn't debate me. So I just said, you know what? I'll do it without you. I don't need you. Um, so I basically pulled his one of his videos and kind of showed that. And that was about um, his issue is kind of the same thing I'm going to talk about here. But his issue is that broke one of the things brokers take too much money. 
Um, and then the same thing with, you know, fuel surcharge for him too. And I basically, you know, got into it with, in regards to, you know, you need to know your rate, right? You need to know right. your rate. Like what happens if the load gets posted for zero money? Most drivers don't even call because they don't even know what it should pay. They have no idea, right? They're just like, I don't know. Um, and that's usually a big one. But what I did do is let me turn my display on here and let me turn off my multi-screen here. So I did pull this one up, and I kind of wanted to talk about this because I said I would, and I don't know if the people in the group are there, but I, I at this point, you know, one minute. So PSA, I'm not understanding why a broker needs to make such a high percentage of the gross. There's no good reason for you to pay a carrier eleven hundred dollars on a load, and the shipper is paying eighteen nine. Let's say nineteen hundred, and the shipper is paying nineteen hundred. Why do you need to keep so much money? And it says Armstrong, and I believe it's towards Armstrong, uh, the brokerage. So I, I I pulled this off because this is a common issue in regard in in trucking. This is a, a common problem that a lot of you know br brokers and drivers have this fight with. And I don't. I think the problem is is that trucking is very easy to get into even if you don't understand how business works. Like you can have no concept of how business works and you can get into trucking. So what I kind of wanted to go over is that it's, it's business, not fairness, right? And the, the issue is, is that a lot of times there, I think drivers think that I'm there to only give you the best possible rate you can make and not, but I'm not supposed to make what I can make. Now, I look at this and say, okay, let's say it's not Armstrong. Let's say this was a guy who he worked three months for no money. He finally gets a load. He finally moves a load, and he makes this much money on the load. But he's made nothing for three months. Is it okay then? Is it, is it, I mean, because most businesses don't go on a weekly basis. Like when I look at what I'm making in a business, I don't say, well, I'm good for the week. I don't say, well, I'm good for the month. That, that's right. not a business mindset. A business right. mindset is I need to cover my employees' bills for a year. I need to cover quarterlies. I need to cover so much in the future. And I think one of the problems that new people in the business, either drivers or care brokers or stuff like that, they don't understand that. Like most drivers look at how much they're going to make at the month. They don't look at the quarter or six months or a year. And what this broker made, if that driver took, what if that driver that, that I don't know how far this load went. Maybe it only went 150 miles. Is that good money for 150 miles? Well, but there's a lot of presumptions too. Like how did, how did you understand the shippers paying 1896? How did you, acquire that information maybe they asked and they told them right but maybe they also lied sure maybe I mean, who did you ask and did even you ask the check cutter right and even if they showed them even if they showed them that that's what they made who are you to tell me i'm making too much money that's i, I think this is one of the things that it's like and and i this all comes back to a video that i did i know you never watched my videos uh, but actually, you know what? I'll pull it up. But you know, you would you should really watch my videos because I throw that at you a lot. If you don't, because I blame you. Uh, but you blame what, me? 
Yeah, I blame you for if yeah, of course, because you don't watch my videos. You don't even show up to when we're supposed to do shows together. What are you talking about? Uh, here's a com- I you know, if there was a complaint factory, you'd have fucking ten of them. I know. I'm like, yeah, you can. All right, so here's what I want I want you to kind of listen to. All righty. That's how stuff gets hang on. That's how stuff, you know, you, you pass it through. No. Why didn't you go to the bank? Oh, okay. And I thought I was in the meeting and I'm like, yeah, you can. We do that all the time. That's how stuff gets declassified. That's how stuff, you know, you, you pass it through no. across the main solution. It comes out the other end, sanitized. So I waited. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't call someone out in front of people unless there's like a life emergency, you know, someone's right. going right. to die, right? So I waited. After the meeting, you know, I went up to the guy. I was like, hey, um, I used to write cross-domain solutions. You know, uh, we pass stuff from the high side to the low side all the time. We just sanitize it through CDS. Mm-hmm. And he goes, "Well, I'm the guy with the CISSP, <laughs> which is like the cybersecurity certification." I'm like, "Okay." Has <laughs> <laughs> somebody ever pissed you off so yes. much that you went back to college? Uh, no. So I'm like to the University of Maryland to get my math. So I thought about that, and I think that's an actual big deal, in my opinion. Like at some point, we are at. We, I would when I was when I was going this, and I was like twenty years old, and I was trying to figure this all out. I never looked at people and said, "Hey, you made too much money." I looked at them and said, "I want to know how you made that money." Can Can you show me how you made that much money? What did, What did you do? And we don't do that anymore. We literally don't do that anymore. All we basically do is say. You make too much. You shouldn't make that much. And I, I don't. Well, the, the constant blame here, right? Especially, especially in the logistics side of things, or just in trucking in general, has always seems to be it's a it's a carrier blaming broker situation, right? And it's like you know, if the brokerage is looking at it from a standpoint of saying, okay, look, what can I get a truck to move this for? What kind of margin can I build into this? Correct. Right. And I would ask this question in reverse. Okay. This is how I've always done this. And I think you actually, you and I have talked about this before. Yeah. So she says on here, there is no good reason for you to pay a carrier $1,100 on a load that the shipper is paying $1,896. Okay. Why do you need to keep so much? Well, my question would be, if your cost of operation is only $2 a mile, why do you need $5 a mile? Why do you need $3 per mile per profit? And their answer to that is going to be, because I can get it. Right. And the broker's answer is also the same, because I can get it. Correct. So why would you, you know, the the, the icing's on both sides of the cake here. I mean, you're, you're, you know, this lady, this person here, whoever's doing this, I say lady, it's, I'm, that's wrong. It's, it's a person, group member, whoever this group member is, mm-hmm. right? This group member is complaining over something that they themselves do, right? So it's a pot calling a kettle black. Right. It's essentially the same, same nonsense. That's always been the same thing. It's like, you know, I'm going to complain a broker kept too much, but I'm never going to complain if I got one over on the broker. Correct. Like, I, you know, it's it's like, okay, well, I mean, you know, complain yeah. if you want, I guess. I, I, <laughs> I, I, to me, it's like, I find it, it's like, I almost want to say, shut up. Shut oh, shit. up. Well, it's like, I mean, 
Here's the, here's the, here's the one I wanted to I I saved this one deliberately for the show and you don't believe me here it is on my phone I, well I don't know if you can see my phone but it's it's from Facebook okay so I'm a part of Facebook groups and so the same person who posted this crap about brokers keeping too much here's the other flip side of the coin with brokers okay here's a broker this girl's asking on a Facebook group hey guys why do carriers get mad when you give them a rate that is low. I go on DAT rate and I am not greedy trying to make a big margin. I just want to know what's the best deal they can give so I can present it to my customer. I am also fair with my customers, so I don't ask for a crazy margin. I just wish I understood carrier cost, so I know I am not being taken advantage of any advice. I want to be fair with the carrier as well as my customer. Their responses, 37 responses of nothing but carriers talking trash to this person who's obviously a brand new broker who's trying to figure out what the cost of a carrier is so that they're not being taken advantage and they're being fair. Send her a message right now. Send her a message. Tell her to come on the show. Uh, no, this girl looks like 12. I don't know. Oh. Oh, How is she a new broker? She's 12. Well, I mean, she looks 12. She could be 35. I don't know, but she looks 12. And to be honest, this is the thing we're getting at, right? Is that there, This is only one, right? So there's so many more that are involved here when it comes to this, but it's like, dude, when you have a, when you have a girl that's on here, that's, or, you know, even anybody who's on Facebook, who's asking genuine questions of trying to understand cost of carriers so that they can be fair all the way around. And then they're getting bashed by carriers constantly in yeah. the comment section. It's like, well, what do you think the relationship will look like? Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's my, my biggest thing is it's like, <clears throat> like I said, my biggest thing is, when when I needed to make more money, when I wanted to make more money, I did not ever tell somebody who was making more money, you shouldn't make that. Now, it, I'm not talking about people that are stealing or, or con artists. I'm talking about legitimate people that are doing jobs, doing services. I never told them anybody, you're not worth that. I, I, my, my question would be like, how did you do that? How can I do it? Show me. That's Show why me. I got into trucking, because I wanted to make more, because if I'm going to work more and do more, and I feel like I deserve more then I'm going to do more and I'm going to get paid more, but it's never, it was never a concept of like, well, that guy makes two fifty. Well, good for you. I mean, if you're making two fifty, what hustle are you doing that I haven't done? What other plug do you have that I don't have? What are you, what, what are your avenues that you're doing that I'm not doing? But to look at a brokerage, I mean, Armstrong's huge. And to say that they made $800 on a 1100 or, you know, what is it? An $1,800 low. They made 896 bucks. You know, right. They had a fifty percent margin, or a little less than fifty percent margin. Seven. Yeah. You know, maybe that's a heavy margin to that particular carrier. But my question to this person, this group member, would be: Why did you accept eleven hundred dollars? Was it good enough for you? Was it good enough to pay? Did it go where you wanted to go? And was did did it pay the bills? Because you, yeah, took I mean, if you accepted eleven hundred dollars, shut your mouth and move on. Right. You took the load. You know, I, it's like you it's like you complaining you didn't marry a supermodel when you decide to marry someone that you're you know homely person like that's your business right you know you chose that you know why why would you complain about it because somebody else didn't go the way you went it's like you know if my negotiating skills are better than yours i'm to be blamed because i'm better at my job than you are or because i negotiate better than you did or because you didn't ask for more that's right. Ridiculous. This is the biggest thing. This is what I need people to understand because we're not just doing trucking, right? It, it, I, I want to also kind of go over business. When you're in a business, you own a business, okay? You're an LLC. I don't care if you're a sole proprietor, but you're now a business. You're not an employee. You've got to break the employee thought process. 
You've yeah. got to break that. You cannot live a run a business on a week by week situation or a month by month. You literally that eight hundred dollars. Like I said, if if I'm making money, I not only have to look about how much I need, but I might have to make sure that when I make no money, let's say I make no money next week, and I've got somebody I'm W twoing, they still need to get paid. I can't go to them and say, I know you're W2'd and I'm supposed to pay you this week, but I didn't make any money this week, so I can't pay you. I, yeah. You can't do that, right? It, it, it is just unbelievable the mindset that people get into. They, when you get into trucking and you start running your business, you can't run it on a week by week or by the month. Well, I made enough money by the month. I'm going home. No, that's, that's that, wrong wrong my my biggest thing for this whole thing when i look at this i have no sympathy because in my my attitude is you decided to accept 1100 bucks right that's it and and you accepted that for your business that's right. it you know i mean you you made that decision there's nothing there's no more to it you made a decision so own your decision live with your decision don't be mad because you made a bad decision and try to take it out on somebody else who made a better decision and that's the same way in business. I mean, when I'm looking at my profit margin, you know, it's like I have, I have some owner operators have complained before when we take any kind of margin at all. You know, it's like, well, why are you guys taking the percentage you guys take? It's like, well, because I'm taking a risk. You know what I mean? Why would I, you know, why would I bring you in if I, if I, if I was going to just take no margin at all? Why would I be in business? I wouldn't even deal with you. You're, you know, if you're a headache. I've got to get paid to deal with you because you're a freaking headache. I know. If you, you are putting our company at risk or potential risk, I should get paid for it. At some level, there should be a profit margin, you know? And so it's like, dude, the, you think the brokerage involved here is not going to get paid. You know, if you're upset about it, open your own brokerage, go get your own freight and go do your own damn thing. I mean, I say this all the time. Like if you've got a carrier, if you're now a motor carrier, you're not leased on to anybody, but you're your own motor carrier. If you're not opening a brokerage, when you open up your motor carrier, you're not doing it right because that brokerage is your freaking sales department. It's your sales department. All right. Hey, I got a super chat here. As a carrier, I don't ask for crazy amounts. I ask for an average price at the DAT uh, 15 day average, but there are brokers that only want to pay half of that. You want it or mine? You want me or me? You know, the 15 day average is contracts. Right. So the 15 day average is a contract average. It's it's taking into account contracts as well as I mean, it doesn't keep track of spot market freight. It can keep track of some of the trends if the broker reports it, but it's primarily basing things on a contractual lane rate based on the historical data that it's pulled in through the facets of its data, you know, like its data collection. So it's basing it on historical data. And basing it on trends, but you know, and that's okay. But I mean, if they're brokers that are paying half of it, you have a choice. Again, a decision, no or yes. And if you don't want to take it, say no and move on with your life. You know, why get burned up and 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 all bent out of shape over something with somebody that pays half? You know, if they're cheap, they're cheap. Maybe their customers cheap. You know how many times I've had to pull a load and the customer's like, here, we're we're gonna do this for fifteen hundred bucks. That's our that's our cap. Mm -hmm. well, I'm not going to find a truck for 1500 bucks. I know for a fact, even if I gave them the whole 1500, I still couldn't get a truck. Right. You know, all you can tell them as a broker is I'll try. 
you know, right. I'll attempt. And so you post it, whether or not anybody covers it, you know, who knows, but I mean, you're going to try to cover it. And then what you do a lot of times what a broker will do is post it, let it ride for three or four days, go back to their customer and say, look, we've had this up on a board for three or four days straight for the mm-hmm. entire network of our community of truck drivers that we work with. And nobody's taking the bait at 1500. Where can we move this? How can we change this? How can we get you to come up a little bit so we can actually get this moved and covered and, you know, put that back on the shipper. But again, if they're posting it for half of it, man, if you don't like what you see, like I do it when I, when I was dispatching, I would look at loads and I would filter through. And I mean, I wouldn't even make phone calls. I'd spend the more majority of my time as a dispatcher, deleting loads off my board that I didn't like. I just delete them, just get rid of them. And then I would only deal with the ones that were within my range of what I was willing to accept and then go from there. But I mean, I, you know, the ones that don't make sense, they don't make sense. Just delete it and move on. You know, right. it, they're not cheap because the guy's trying to rip you off. No. And, and, and understand too, that 15 day average, is that your number? I mean, it, it, well, listen, take your numbers, figure out what you need to make. If you're the only person working at home, you know, you're one, you're a one man show. You got to feed your family. You got to pay for your house. Add up all those numbers and figure out how much you need a mile and a day and a month and, and how much you need and, and a quarter, how much you need to make and figure out and then look at that load and say, okay, wh- I know I'm going to use simple numbers here, right? I know I need to make a dollar fifty. That's my bottom line. I want 100% markup. I'd like to make three. All right. Now you're looking at that load. Does any of them fall in the three? If they do, there's your loads. If they don't, now can you do it on a 50% markup? I mean, don't look at that 15-day average and say, that's what I'm going to get paid. You have to be able to go in and say, this is what I need to get paid. Is, well, I mean, let's, let's do it like this, right? What is the average? If you went into Google right now, and you look up the average net profit margin oh, Lord. Okay. of a trucking company, you're going to find that it's 2.5 to 6%. 2.5 right. to 6% is a net profit margin. The way you get to that number is by taking your net profit, dividing it out by your total gross sales, and then multiplying that number by 100. And if I've, and, and, and I did this video on my YouTube channel deliberately to see what people would say. Because I was like, guys, you know, these guys are complaining they're not making enough and they're not making an, enough money and they're, and, you know, all this stuff. Like, I'm not doing well. I'm not doing well. In my video here, let's see, I got a comment. Danny, I'm at 13.85%. This guy's at 17.5%. You know, these are these are guys, this guy here, he's, he's um, just starting out. He's at 5.4%. These are guys who are operating within the average net profit margin that is historically ran at two and a half to 6% every single year. These people are in double digit net profit margins and right. still don't recognize that and still complain the market isn't enough and brokers are stealing their freight and guys are taking their money and they're not making enough money. And it's like, dude, if you would go back and evaluate your business strategy, you would find that you are actually probably doing pretty well. And the other problem is, and this is not even just a trucking problem. This is a national problem. This is a, you know, a United States problem. But how many people live DTI above 100%? DTI. How many people? Debt to income. 
guys that have more debt than they have possible income, you mm-hmm. know, people that are absolutely living absurdly with their amount of money they make in, and they just spend like wildfire. We're at record levels of inflation. Right. And we still have record levels of spending. Yeah. That is the, that that's the biggest ignorance I've ever seen. So it's not just about understanding, you know, or, or trying to make money as a truck driver. It's understanding that business concept to understand you have to manage your money. You don't understand business. It doesn't matter what you do. You could sell lemonade and you'd still go broke. Hot shot by the mile. I booked a load from Armstrong and got 366 a mile. It's a hot shot. Uh, booked a load. Oh, he, he did it twice. Yeah, it came through twice. So he booked a load and got 366 a mile as a hot shot. Absolutely. You know what? And I, I this is the, a problem that I think is seriously, seriously needs to be to be done. And drivers either don't want to do it, they don't want, and, and they don't want to take the time to do it. And you don't even have to pay for it, right? Small Business Association will ha- will have business classes for free, for free. And there are people that I don't need that. I'm just gonna go ahead and run this. And they fail and they blame the brokers. They blame this. They blame the system. And it's like, well, did you do you uh, tell me about your numbers? Do you know your numbers? Nope. Uh, well, hot shots are special circumstances. Hot shots aren't special circumstances. A hot shot is, is a cover up. Hot shot actually has a smaller operating market with more plentiful amount of trucks per capita than the semi truck market does right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. The hotshot market's flooded. The hotshot market isn't a special circumstance. The hotshot market's actually flooded. It just happens to be that the same brokerage that that one person complained about also paid another truck driver well. It's a it's a case by case basis based on each load that comes up and each carrier and customer you're dealing with. This is the whole point of this: is that there is no one size fits all kind of thing. Right. But the problem the problem is here is you've got you've got truck drivers who are essentially entrepreneur they are technicians suffering from entrepreneurial seizures these are people who don't want to work for somebody else mm-hmm. they want to work for themselves but then they want to know just enough to get by and just enough to get money in. and then once they start achieving that where they start making money then all of a sudden well i started making money that's good enough i'm going to keep the ball rolling and only stay here and this goes back to the conversation we last had on this show where it's right. just, you know, guys not taking the time to educate themselves. They get more money for faster deliveries. They don't make any faster deliveries. It's <laughs> the same thing. I mean, they're they're operating at the same cost. They buy the same fuel. Their insurance is damn near the same price, if not worse now. They run most the of them have same, caused wrecks. They run on the same clock. Yeah, same clock. They're not doing anything different. All they're doing is pulling freight. And if the if a customer is paying well and a broker can offer a decent rate, here's here's the thing. As a broker, if I can get a large amount of money out of a customer and could give a large amount to a truck, it makes my life easier because it's covered and it's out of the way. Or I, I can be more refined. Also, just anyways, if you click the link, um, you can leave your camera off. Because you're not going to come on the screen, so you'll be backstage, but they'll be able to hear you. It's like a phone call. Uh, so you, you you won't be on screen. Leave your camera off. I I do a quick flip, and then I'm back on, and you can go ahead and talk. So it's it's not like you have to have a camera on, just so everybody knows. Um, all right, my guest, I get uh, my guest range. I get uh, guess. yeah, the guest range of profit is between 1.9 and 2.6 a mile, 190 a mile and 260 a mile. Uh, but the inflation and shortage are lowering 
this rate. That's my honest opinion. That's what inflation does. Exactly. Inflation, inflation's design, right? The whole design of inflation. Yep. Yeah. The whole design of inflation is when you have a demand that's exceeding a supply. When you have COVID that happened, all right, then you've got a whole situation where people aren't at work. Right. People go back to work. They want to buy stuff or they're at home and they've got an Amazon account. They've got money coming in because they're not leaving home and now they're buying things for their home. So they start spending more. Yeah. But there's nobody at the office actually making the product. So then you've got a demand out exceeding the supply. So you raise inflation to slow the spending, to meet the supply, then to keep them at an even keel moving forward. But what, what's happening right now is we're still getting record spending. So yes, inflation is going to lower some of the cost and it's going to cause some shortages. But at the same time, that's its whole purpose is to slow down the spending to catch up the supply. And so the problem we have right now, which you guys are seeing shortages, is because you have Americans that don't know how to manage their money and continuously buy, no matter what the price is, no matter what inflation does. So you've met my wife. Buying. So you've met my wife? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> God. Yeah, and, and understand, <clears throat> understand, too, that trucking prices also drive inflation. All right. So when you guys were at $2 a mile and things were steady and things were consistent, you, we had a price. When things started to go up to five and $6 to ship freight and every, you know, that's inbound and outbound freight, well, that, those costs get passed on. So you as truck drivers also drive inflation, getting those higher, those higher costs. I've talked about this. Unfortunately, it's very difficult to raise the rates and prices for drivers. Because when that happens, those costs for transportation get passed on eventually to the customers buying goods. And it's just the way the system works. And in regards to inflation, it's it, what you do in the good times should benefit you in the bad times. That's how businesses work. Businesses don't look, like I said, they don't look at a week-to-week situation. They don't look at a month-to-month. They don't look at a quarter. They look at you know years in the future. And unfortunately... The way capitalism works is smarter people that do things better don't go bankrupt. So we act so the people that are actually better at what they do stay afloat and we actually get better things. And this is just it's this is a big situation. No, you didn't miss it yet. Here's one of my uh, conflicts one. Did I miss the broker driver war yet? No. I it's and I it's I'm just breaking it down. Sometimes People, it need to be driven out of the system because they're not op- they're not optimizing their their business. They're not running their business properly. And then when the ra- they they're living on five dollar rates, and when the five dollar rates go down to two dollars, they're like, "Oh my god, what happened here?" And well, that it's it's so funny because the same people, right? The the same people I've heard complain. And, and granted, I mean, I've been a driver, I've been a carrier, and still am. I'm a broker. I mean, I'm all these things at one time, right? And I still do YouTube stuff teaching people. So I'm all on the board at the same level. When I was a driver, I learned to try to be a carrier. When I was a carrier, I'm trying to learn how to be a broker. When I'm a broker, I'm learning and trying to understand the shippers and receivers mindset, right? right? And so in doing that, though, I mean, to, to somebody to say, well, I'm not making any money. The main problem for truck drivers, and my father is a 100% case of this. 
The man's been in this business for 33 plus years. Dude has gone bankrupt like four times trying to run his own gig, whether he was leased on with somebody or with somebody else, or he did this one thing, or he did this other thing, or he leveraged his house to buy a truck, or he did this and that and the other, just ridiculous crap. Hmm. And it's like, dude, I went, almost went bankrupt within the first six months I opened the business. Ran for six months, got the business back on path, took 10 grand and hired some people. Next year did a million and a half in sales. How does that happen? It happens by hiring more people and understanding as a driver, you being in the truck by yourself, or you're the number one risk to yourself. You're the number one cause of risk to your business. So what you have to realize is that the only way you grow your business in this industry, in this market, right? When you see people getting a pay salary increase, right? If I work at Lowe's and I sell lumber and I'm the lumber guy, I'm the guy that does the lumber. I know lumber, baby. You need a stick. I got you. But then I'm only paid a certain rate. But right. then when I do lumber and the nuts and bolts in the hardware section, now I'm paid a little bit more. But then when I manage the store, I'm paid a little bit more. But each time I get paid more, I'm taking on more responsibility and assuming more duties. Truck drivers that are still viewing it from the level of like, well, I did $50,000 to myself last year. I'm going to pay myself $60,000 this year. How? When did the profit margin jump enough for you to eat another 10 grand for yourself? It, it, it's either the rates increase or your cost of operation decreases to increase a profit margin in between. That is the only way it happens. Or you add another truck to offset your risk to increase your volume and capacity and then driving up the revenue, which will ultimately drive your profits, which will ultimately drive your paycheck when you start to manage more. But to assume that you're going to do this every year just because you happen to be a truck driver is like saying that I deserve more money because I've stayed at McDonald's for 27 years and I've done the same thing. I'm not going to be a manager. I only want to flip the burgers. And what happens? You see those people. They're disheveled. They're upset. They're grumpy. They're, they're mad all the time. You know, they're irritated and they've been doing the same job but refuse to do anything more. So it's like, dude, if you're not going to do anything more. Why would you expect to get more? It's never, that's a horrible concept. And so I just, you know, to the guys that are watching their carriers, man, really, you got to focus on growing your business and adding and offsetting a risk. Quit looking at it from a standpoint of saying the rates aren't right. The rates are great when you have enough trucks to offset the down risk or the downside of it being that, you know, you don't have, if one repair takes you in a single truck out of business, well, look at how easy that was. I have trucks that go that have breakdowns every day, every day, all the time. And look at the mega carriers. If they have a truck that has a flat tire and they can't make one load and one delivery on time, if they were only a single truck operation, that might be a $2,000 loss to them. Right. But, but that same $2,000 loss to somebody who has assets that are spread out and the risk is spread out, that $2,000 loss is not as impactful because they're bigger. And that, that's the one thing I think that, I really wish carriers would understand is how to understand how to grow their business, manage their financials, hire people on, and then expand their business, expand their sales capacity, and then offset that risk by having more assets on the roadway. They would learn to kind of drive a more passive income stream rather than being the only person driving the income stream. If my father had learned that he wouldn't have gone bankrupt like four freaking times. But again, Watching him fail 
showed me, nah, okay. And every time I told him, hey, man, you should grow. You should really add somebody on. You've been here for 33 years. I and mean, how do you not know? And it was like, just didn't well, care. At least he's consistent. Well, yeah. I mean, but it's like, dude, <laughs> you know, you got to do something. You got to do something different. You can't, you can't just keep playing the same song and dance and complaining about it. So let me say this one. Why do, uh, why do brokers promise detention on the front end and then go ghost after the load is delivered? All right, a couple things here. So on a rate confirmation sheet, if the rate confirmation sheet has hours of detention, so on the rate con, if it says you're going to be paid $50 an hour after two hours on the rate con, um, if you put the time in and time out on the bill of lading, what I, you can actually do is you would submit that invoice with that detention. If they don't pay it, you can go after their bond. If it's on the rate con, you can go after their bond if they don't pay it. And you can prove with your ELD uh, or, or everything else that you were actually there that long. It's got to be on the rate con. So that's one of the things you do. The reason they do that, well, they're scumbags. That's, that's one. But um, you can go after their bond for that. Now, if they don't, you can still do an invoice and send them that invoice separate. If they don't pay it, turn it in as unrecoverable money when you do your taxes. Write it off. Write it off as unrecoverable. You were detained. Supposed to get 50 bucks an hour. I didn't get it. I sent them an invoice. Turn it in to your accountant as unrecoverable finances, unrecoverable debt. Um, and just write it off, right? And let, and just say, who, and then you're turning it in against CH Robinson. Um, besides that, like I said, you can call and try to fight for it and call and speak to manager. If you're not getting what you want from the person you're talking to on the phone, you need to say, I'd like to speak to your supervisor. Don't be afraid to, when you're calling into CH Robinson or somebody to say, look, man, can I speak to your supervisor? We're just not getting we're not we're not getting the point across here i'm gonna need to see if i can try somebody else um and sp speak to somebody else and then explain the situation but it just it's remember the person you're dealing with on that phone is not the broker he's a if it's a big one he's just a kid on a phone yeah he's just a kid on a phone he's he's no more involved than the than the checker at the end of when you go grocery shopping that's it. Oh, and, and read read your agreement too, because if your agreement says that they are not going to pay detention unless it's approved by the customer, and that's in the agreement that you signed with them, and that's their policy and how they conduct business, then right. they may be ghosting you because they they've got it in their policy and it is what it is, and you know they're not going to sit there and continue on with the conversation about it. Um, I've had that happen too. I mean, I've I've read some rate cons where they put it down there in sneaky writing and, and small fine print. Where it was like, oh well, you know, detention approved upon customer approval, um, and then they'll say, well, we can't get a hold of the customer, or the customer may be ghosting the broker. So, you know, but at the end of the day, man, you can write it off as a loss. You can take it again as a tax credit, like Sage is saying, and then you know, just just don't operate, don't live by the mantra of I'm waiting on this detention. You know, right. I mean, pursue it, but also continue pursuing your next goal, the next job, the next load. Uh, the next thing, you know, you can't, you know, don't, you know, the, what's that? Uh, don't cry over spilled milk, you know, just keep it right. moving. So 
Um, you know, file for it, do the best you can, reach out to him a few times, be as, as polite as you can, be, you know, professional. And then if it, if it pays, great. If it doesn't pay, great. We'll write it off as a loss at the end of the year, make a note of it and continue moving. Yeah. And, and CDN uh, is, a, is a broker too. I don't, the, the, unless there's a contract with the shipper and the driver in regards to detention, um, they don't have to pay detention. They have to pay the freight costs but they don't have to pay the detention. So a lot of times here, nobody wants to file against, nobody wants anyone to file against their bond. It doesn't look good. Um, so even the fact that you say, look, I'm going to file against your bond if you don't pay this, a lot of times that broker is going to end up paying it then taking a hit against their bond. Um, and, uh, what, if it's, what, but what is the retribution that will probably come after that? Yeah, it, yeah, now you're probably going to be tossed, so it's a decision you're going to want to have to make. So a lot of times, like I said, what I do is I write it off. I, I, I used to write it off. I just did an invoice, made the invoice. They said, we're not paying it. I'm like, all right, no big deal. And, you know, and stuck it in and turned it into the IRS and let the IRS, you know, figure it out. I don't know. I mean, they might not be a big and might not care, but for me, it was, it was an extra write-off. You know, there's times I wasn't paid a thousand bucks in detention that I was supposed to get, and you have proof that you have it. Write it off. Basically. Yeah. Um, and again, don't live by it. Don't don't wait on it. Don't count on that being your money. And if you go to the shipper and stuff, there's going to be times that they're going to say, hey, you weren't supposed to go to the shipper. So if you do go to the shipper, you could be getting that same repercussions uh, from that. from that Because that shipper is going to call and say, hey, uh, this driver's coming to me saying that I owe him money. I owe him 100 bucks for detaining him. What the hell is this about? Um, now, a lot of times that broker might say, here's your money. But then they, you got to watch and see if they're going to 411 you for, you know, contacting the shipper or receiver uh, when you weren't supposed to, according to the contract that they sent you, uh, your packet that they sent you, the big contract. Sometimes it'll say you can't talk to the, to the con you know, customer. Usually they do. So that's the other thing you have to worry about. But yeah, I, like I said, I, even the thought of going against the bond, I've done it. I'm like, hey, man, uh, it's on the Raycon. Um, I can go against your bond. You're going to pay this or not. And then go after a supervisor. Uh, yep. Pro tip. Use your TMS notes. Uh, the, the shipper takes you. Yes. And that's another thing too. That's a big thing. And you know what? I should, you, you, the links up there. You can come in a big thing that, um, CDN emphasize on is you have to keep your own analytics. You have to keep your own data. You have to keep your own record of everything that you're doing and receive and, and everything that happens and keep that in some type of system that allows you to remember because you're not gonna remember dude I, I you know what i mean eventually you do but there's gonna be things that you're gonna be like okay you're gonna eventually like snorlord's one snorlord can look at where he's done it so much that he can say okay this load's coming out of this spot this city in missouri and he could say i know that's a walmart load i know it's a walmart load i know i'm gonna be there for five hours in five hours and 37 minutes on average um, because he's done it so much. But if you're not that type, you're going to want to keep records of that and throwing that into some type of TMS. I don't care which one um, that's going to keep notes because those notes down the road are going to save you money. It's going to save you money because you'll remember that. Okay. Been here before sat for six hours uh i'm gonna mention that to the broker hey i've been here before is this picking up at blah 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 yes 
Okay, last time I was there, I was there for six hours. So I am not going to sit there again for six hours and not be paid. So you want to do that up front? <laughs> or do you want to put it on the rate contract uh, that I get detention after two? And that's the only stuff that you're going to be able to remember if you put that in notes so you can keep going with it. Yeah, I mean, the analytics on your side as a carrier are just as important as the analytics that a broker ever has on you. You know, when you call a broker and you give them the MC number and they pull you right up, they know everything about you. They, you know, that's because they're keeping copious notes on you and you need to do the same thing for these guys. And, and you know, if you have a run in with a major brokerage, maybe it's a run in with a particular agent. Right. Track that agent, you know, know who that agent was, you know, Bill Nye or Bob or whoever it is that you don't like or whatever he did. But just keep track of that because. At the end of the day, man, like if you don't if you don't recognize the bad lanes or things that you've done before that put you in a jam, if you like I know a particular lumber yards that if we were to go to those particular lumber yards, we're a 10 to 11 hour wait um, right. just because they're ungodly bad. Um, but it, because they're terrible, it doesn't mean that they don't have product. They still have to move um, or that they somehow got their shit together. So. It's just, you know, keep good notes and know that, hey, these people don't have their shit together. And uh, if we take this load, we're probably going to have to deal with this. So right. is it worth our time in doing that? And and this, <clears throat> so this right here was in um, a freight brokers network group, right? Um, and she wrote this. So it says personal opinion. I, and I'm horrible at reading, but here we go. So I see many people on here saying, just start your own, meaning I think brokerage basically. Um, I don't think that's a good advice. In order to run a successful business, you must know what you're doing and what needs to be done in order to scale. You should never start a business in any industry if you don't know what you're doing. It's a setup for failure, especially when it comes at a highly competitive industry like transportation and the logistics industry. You, can, you can't sell a product if you don't understand the product. It takes more than just getting your authority. And there is a lot that goes into building a reputable business. Yes, you can learn uh, by doing, but you will encounter so many unnecessary issues. You have no idea. Uh, that you can prevent, that can be prevented if you educate yourself and have the right people in your corner. Example one, one of my mentees uh, was not ready to jump to, to just jump into the game without knowing anything. We spent about five or six months training, learning, and now she has her own agency and just landed her first customer. She received her first commission check last week. Uh, she feels much more confident and has the, the right mindset because she is better overall understanding. Success doesn't come overnight unless you win the lottery, but it can be done. It is, it is an easy ride, but um, is it an easy ride? No, but with dedication, commitment, hard work, and the right mindset and the right people in your corner, you can, you can and will succeed. Uh, this is not a get-rich-quick industry. It is not as easy as people want to paint a picture. Uh, you can make money, yes, you can be successful, absolutely. There is nothing wrong with educating yourself before stepping out there. We all learn what we know today from someone or someone or experiences we had. Uh, just be careful when picking a course or a class. There are two-day classes that are definitely 
a money-making scheme. These people are, are looking to make money off of you. They don't care if you make it or not, as long as they can fill their pockets. Choose widely. Happy Monday, broker. Now, a couple things. Like for I, I have what I consider like an, a, a book, an audio book that I do, right? But I don't sell it. I don't post it online, buy it here, click here, download it here. I Anybody that wants it, I literally put them on. I have to talk to them on the phone. I have to know what they've been doing. Where I have told people, no, I'm not selling you mine because you're not even close to mine. Mine is not bottom level. It's, you know, it's understanding and, and knowledge and, and stuff like that. But I, I have asked brokers three questions, three questions I have asked them. And I have said, if you don't know the answers to these questions, you should not be brokering freight. You should not be even touching freight because you can't even answer these three simple questions. And you will not believe how many people have come to me taking other courses. And I ask them those questions and they can't answer them. And this is a problem in our industry. I, I do believe that before you're some type of freight broker, you should have some type of uh, training or knowledge or something like that. Yeah. Uh, is that me? You're going to have to talk. I'm going to turn this off. You talk. Okay. <laughs> Actually, hang on. You might lose talking. Hang on. Swear to God. Did you break something? No audio. <laughs> That's what all that technology does. Can you guys even hear me? <laughs> I can't tell what's going on. It's so silent. <laughs> Sage broke the internet. <laughs> he broke the internet, man. He broke the internet. All your tech, all your fancy computers could probably melted down half of your, your office. They can hear you. They just couldn't hear me. I'm all better now. Okay. You were making me feel, man. It was like purgatory. I know. I, I I'm 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 having one of those days. I've got to. It's it's. I've got to get rid of Streamyard. I've got to get rid. I actually flipped out on them because uh, I did a show and it came in horribly, um, and I downgraded to the middle one because I was so pissed off. Um, what after I you know, did the show? So luckily I was able to. Will help me out and I downloaded and reloaded it. Oh, you gotta be kidding me! I might have to switch mics. See, that's what you get, man. You got all this, you got all this smart stuff, all this super tech. I just that's why I do lives, man, because I, I have no idea. I have I, no idea. Where was I? Do you know where I was? Uh I, yeah, you were talking about um educating yourself before yeah. you come in the industry. And and she's absolutely right, right, Matt. There is a ton of people that think this is a get rich quick scheme, and it's it's not. It's 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 a lot. But again, I, I, I say it all the time. If you have a carrier, you should have the brokerage because you're eventually going to need it. It's eventually going to be your sales department. Now, and what are your three questions? I can't give you those. That's top secret. Well, you said there's three questions that you ask. I do. 
but I don't. I wait until oh, they, you want to keep that under wraps. Yes, that's under wraps. Ah, so okay, that okay. looks up those questions and says, okay, now I know the answer. I'll go. I'll go ask them. So <laughs> three true. questions that I ask that you know I say, okay, you ready? <clears throat> they say, yep, I'm ready. And I'm like, okay, here we go. I mean, I mean, I've had some people get like two, um, or one, but nobody's that got all three. Well, I think I think there's a lot to be said with that uh, with that broker statement about uh, you know understanding your market. But again, this is the, this is the thing that you know it's so surprising to me how many people come in and open their authority day one with no true experience in trucking. And to me, that's terrifying. I threw away the idea of having my own carrier like for three years. I just you know I'd come up with the idea. I'm like, yeah, I should do that. And then I'm like, no, not yet. I trashed the idea and I started again. Oh, I should do that. And then I trashed the idea again. And I think, you know, when I see people that just start to like start their authority right out the gate, I'm like, whoo, man, you know, the gajones on this person have got to be large, man, because the risk you're willing to absorb right out front right. is amazing. So, but I mean, but this is, this goes back to that exact point, right? To that broker, to that girl I was talking about on Facebook, right? Asking like, what's the cost of operation of a truck? Well, if you don't know that, why are you a broker? How right. did you get into this? How did you open your own thing? And then end well, my, up getting yourself in a position where you don't even understand it. My biggest thing I do at brokers, um, I'm losing my voice here, um, is that as a, when you're a freight broker and a customer basically comes in and says, Hey, I want, you know, you go to a, this is the best thing. I love this. This is, here we go. All right. So as of, if you're a broker and you're going to a customer and you're saying, Hey, can I quote your freight? Hey, can I quote your freight? Stop it. Stop it. Customers don't want you to just quote freight and post it on a load board. They don't want to be on the load board. They don't want to be out there on a board. They want you as a freight broker to basically have some type of experience or knowledge or ability to network areas. Hang on one second. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on, Rob. They want you to have some type of carrier base, some type of uh, carriers or trucks you already have a control over, or, or not control over, I'm sorry, uh, ability to work with that you can go to them and say, hey, I have a customer are you guys, you know, what do you have for pricing? They don't want you just to give them a quote and post it on a load board. They, they, they want to take me off the load board. Give me some type of advantage, some type of service. What service are you providing me? And if it's just a load board, you're only worth 100, 200 bucks a month. Hang on. Yeah, at best. Yeah. At best. <clears throat> Let me, uh... Quite literally. I mean, about <laughs> the simplest process there is is taking a load from a customer and just reposting it on uh <clears throat> reposting it on a load board and then you're hoping you get a truck i mean the, the prayer that Holy you must say is ridiculous rob you there oh i lost rob i hear i hear noise he's back rob you there hang on he's there he's in am i there okay yeah you can turn your camera off because you're, yeah, you're getting can you a little. Can you hear me? I can. Well, you can my turn your connection slow. <clears throat> yeah, turn your camera off. Hold on, let me fix this. Because that'll take up bandwidth. So right now we got uh, CDN broker. He was in the chat. He's uh, a freight broker from Canada, uh, but he also can do the U.S. and stuff like that. 
is maybe we have them. See, this is this is why you break the internet. There we go. He's he's there. I can hear him. I there. see him. All right, perfect. All right, I got I'm him. All right, you're ready to go. You're good to go. Okay. Um, yeah, you can hear me okay? Yeah, you can jump in, buddy. Okay. Uh, so two things I was going to say is, one, back to the pay. When people complain about overpaying brokers, the thing I would bring up is the fact that you have to take a look at what your, what your industry you're servicing as a broker. If a broker is making $1,000 in a load, that might be a niche market. But the reality is, if you're a broker trying to flog 20 loads of water a day, the market's not going to let you make $1,000 on a load. You might do it once, but I can guarantee you shippers, the type of commodity you're shipping will ultimately, from time to time, sure, you may you know, make a home run and or whatever, you, you convince someone or something, you use some tax, t t selling abilities to do this, but... I can tell you, if you're shipping low-value commodities, those shippers know what they're doing. They're not going to let you make that happen because the, the other brokers are going to come in cheaper and so forth. So now, if you're a person, just take take for example, let's take shingling. If you live in a in if you're a shingler, a roofer, and you live where there's winter, shingler. are you working 12 months of the year? You're not. Right. So they have to make their business work. And a lot of those guys will either do something else on the, on the, you know, maybe they do snow clearing in the winters or whatever. But the point is, if you're a specialized broker, you may be making majority of your money in a five month period because you do, let's say, uh, produce or you do uh, flowers or you do whatever it is, you got specialty stuff. And so, you know, depending on what you are as a broker. So the way that, as far as people saying, like you said, how much you make my, tip that I suggest to people when you're starting out is you should go with the flow, like pick yourself up, you know, cause the way it should be is if you're running a business mm -hmm. in my mind, if you think what your, your value, let's say it should be a thousand dollars a week, hypothetically you pay yourself, but you think really I should be making 2000 run your business to make yourself a thousand dollars a week. If you don't make enough money in theory and proper way of doing business, as a broker, you should be paying out of your business credit line to pay your family, and then the business goes in debt until you make enough money to offset it is the proper way, right? Then, if you're doing well enough, every quarter, you can after you've done your books for the quarter, set money aside for your annual taxes. If you feel that you have excess money left over and you want to pay yourself a bit of a bonus at that point where you have money set aside, that's fine. But the beginning part is that you need to sit down. People think, oh, just working as a broker from home was nothing. You just need a laptop and that's it. Yeah, yeah depending on what you're doing. But me as an agent, I have a, I have the best phone system, the best internet I can get. Um, I also pay for a lot of subscriptions. I'm paying for Office 365. I'm paying for Trello. I'm paying for Snagit. I'm paying for iBot uh, Pro Miles. Like I, I've, you know, I have expenses throughout the year. Uh, for example, I have a customer that just sent me an email this week asking for their, their companies having their golf, tour golf tournament. So I spent 300 and some dollars yesterday buying gifts that I'm going to uh, bring down to them and donate uh, on, as an agent because my company, the broker doesn't do that. I pay for that out of my pocket. So you got to take all that into consideration. So you have to look at it as a big picture. And that's where, regardless of what you're doing to what you talk about is taking some sort of education. If you're a young person, 
looking to come in, I don't care what you're in, even if you're not, if you're listening to this channel and you're not even going to get into transportation, if you're thinking, I want to get into human resources or I want to get into welding, I want to get into this, take a look at what you want to get yourself into. Then say, when I'm 40 or 50, where in my career do I want to be? Say, well, my goal is, yeah, I want to work as a welder or I want to work as something. And then eventually I'd like to be the foreman or I'd eventually like to be that supervisor. Okay, what steps? Go look on any job posting form out there, monster.com or Indeed. Look at postings in the areas that you're interested in, the new jobs, and then look at the postings that are jobs that require five, 10 years of experience. Look at all the qualifications that, that are required and then start to build yourself up your career taking on all those things so that you can, like, for example, with cash, if something happened and blew up or Sage blew up, well, mm -hmm. cash can easily, even if trucking was not available to him, he could take the skill sets from his army days to trucking to salesmanship to safety and jump into a variety of different roles from sales to safety to dispatching. And it doesn't have to be dispatching of trucks. It could be dispatching for the power line company and managing their fleet because he has that inside knowledge. Sage could be a consultant in a variety of ways. Sage could be an easily and cash, a real estate agent. You know, you guys can transfer these skills to numerous industries if you just think about it. So you need to really, if you're thinking, if you're depending where you are in your career, you got to take a minute and evaluate what is best for you and your business and for your personal life. Because the reality is when you're doing business, sometimes you think, hey, I want to become that owner operator. Well, guess what? When you do the numbers versus working, if you have a chance to work for a company that's going to pay you pension and benefits, if they're not paying you benefits, then maybe it's there's, but if you're looking at it, if you have a company that says, yeah, I want to pay you benefits and all this, and as you work there, you get more vaca paid vacation times, like you're working for a company like, say, a delivery driver for Coca-Cola or Pepsi as a local, you know, and you worked there for 15 years, you could end up with five, six weeks paid vacation, paid benefits, and paid pension. Right. So you take that into consideration versus the cost of buying a truck. Sure, you got the freedom to purchase the truck you want to do, and you can potentially work in the spot market and work when you want to work. But at the end of the day, What's going to give you the best bang for your buck for your family in the big picture? And it, you know, the, there's no right or wrong. It's what works for you. But just take a moment to study that. And that's that's part of the planning process. And then the other thing I was just going to bring into tie into the other thing is, yeah, you need a tools to help you plan you know, in, in your business. It doesn't matter what it is. And that's why if you're young or just going to get into business, even if you're in your 20s or 30s, go to college, take a part-time business course, study right. some books. You mm -hmm. can go... If you have no knowledge about brokerage, there you can go to the TIA, Transportation Intermediaries Association. They offer a variety of different courses there. In fact, they have a whole certificate. It's a pretty in-depth course because if you you have to study a book that's pretty in-depth about business, and then they go through the stuff and you have to pass a test. It's like a six-hour test. So it's it's a fairly intensive program that you you could go through. So and then trucking, like again, there's a variety of ways. But I just wanted to say that yeah, you got to be smart in how you approach this business and to, to assume that someone is making too much money. Um, sure. There's shysters out there and they're taking advantage of the marketplace. But mm -hmm. for the most part, I think we're all out there grinding. If you're an honest business person, regardless brokerage carrier, we're all in the same boat because the other side that people don't see, yes, a broker may take advantage of it, but guess what? Sometimes if they, if a customer awards a broker 20 loads, mm -hmm. you know, they work with a customer throughout the year, they get 20 loads. 
all of a sudden the, the carrier thought, the broker thought, I can I can book loads for so much per load. And all of a sudden, they don't. They end up having to pay a little bit more than they thought. Some of the loads they made extra money and some of them they didn't. So at the end of the day, those 20 loads, how much money did they really make? And also if other situations happen where you have a truck book, last minute the carrier you know, drops off on you and right. you have no choice but to pay extra for another truck, the carrier, the customer is not re, you know, covering that. So there's times that you do things of this nature that you're paying out of pocket to offset small damages. You know what? Hey, the, for, the driver, uh, you know, your shipper, the forklift operator damaged the rub rail on, on my truck or they, they damaged something on the inside. Well, let's say you say, well, how much is it going to cost? Well, I can go to a welder and get it done for 150 bucks. As a broker, sometimes you might just say, you know what? I'm not going to involve my customer. I'll tell them what happened. Right. I'm going to pay you the 150. Let my customer know I took care of the situation, but ask the staff to be a little bit more. I, I ate the cost of it on your behalf and, and because you're a long-term customer of mine, but just asking if they can help avoid it. Because if it was more than $150, $200, I would have been coming to you saying we got to work something out because we just can't. we got to be safe. Right. And, and I think <clears throat> and maybe – here you can get free business classes. We talked about this from the Small Business Association. You can literally get them free, right? And they're 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 I don't they're free. I, I don't understand why you wouldn't take them. But I, I'm just thinking that, and Rob, and maybe agree is there just seems to be an awful lot of people getting into the trucking side, getting into the steam, and even getting into the broker side that truly have not. They might have a ton of inf uh, knowledge about trucking, but they have absolutely no business knowledge. Like no, no understanding of business and, and record keeping and what the importance of data collection in your business. Do you, you Dude, it's, it's like they, it's like they know, they know enough to do the job and they mastered, you know, I know drivers do that have mastered and can route themselves across the country with their eyes closed. We'll know exactly how much fuel they're going to consume, know exactly what their truck does, what the RPMs do, what the temperature reads, how to load, how to secure, how to chain, bind, and get things done efficiently, quickly. I've seen guys that get in and out fast. But when it comes down to, hey, take that skill set and now add another truck, it's like, well, I don't know anything about that. And that's the part that that's that that's that bridging the gap portion of things where that separates you from being that person that just does a really good job at trucking to somebody who can master a business in trucking that's more than just you behind the steering wheel because you behind the steering wheel man the first thing that's going to go is your health that's the first thing that's going to go you are in a you are in a statistically proven industry of high risk of high accidents it is a statistically proven fact that you, the longer you stay on the road, the more likely you are to get into a wreck. The more likely you are to have an incident, to have something bad happen. Take flatbed, for example. Insurance rates for flatbed are higher because you're putting yourself in more pre precarious situations. You're on top of 13 and a half feet tall insulation, throwing tarps on a windy day, right? You're doing things that are by its very nature are fairly dangerous and if you are relying solely on the fact that you are going to maintain your health and longevity or that that single truck is going to maintain its health and longevity, you're at the point where you're going to get in a situation where one of those things will fail at some point. And when those things fail, how does that impact the business? And from any business standpoint, if you only have, you know, it's like a broker only having one customer. 
you know, if you only have one customer and you're living on that one customer, well, you better make slam dunks on that customer or you better have a sidebar gig going on because there's no way you're going to make an adequate living on simply one person unless you get into more specialized, higher dollar moves where you can put a bigger margin on it. But um, to the point of, of education, man, it's it's one of the most highly overlooked facets of the trucking industry is the fact that people don't put enough time in to educating themselves and understanding their market. And, you know, if, and I think if carriers understood this, understood the power of becoming their own broker, dude, their market would be so much easier for their lives because who says as a broker, you have to feed your loads to an outside carrier. You don't. I feed them a mass majority of my loads. Matter of fact, the last three or four days that I've been pulling loads for my customer have been fed directly to my own trucks. So why would I put that money anywhere else? When as a broker, I can compete. And not only that, but having your own carrier, I can cut out other brokers that are in the same space in the same marketplace because I'm not living just on the earnings of the brokerage. The brokerage isn't the only thing running the ship around here. So my earnings can be all the way around. My earnings can be on the brokerage side, but they can be at a lower cost to that customer than the bigger brokerages because I don't need a 25% margin or a 20% margin. I can do things in a way that allows my carrier to do well, allows my brokerage to do well, and allows everybody to thrive. And then at the end of the day, man, when you're not relying on a load board, when you take away some of that reliance upon a live spot market load board, you start to develop a little bit more consistency and then you start getting more solidified projections going forward. So there's a lot of education that needs to be happening. And, and I really think carriers need to look at more than just themselves in a truck. They need to look at what the possibilities could be if they added or, or brought in a sales force or, or a brokerage. Well, I would say everything you're saying is hundred percent because I would put like this in a couple, couple things. One, if you're a driver, and let's say you're at a shipper and there's a problem. If you're the driver that the first thing you do when there's a problem, you just call your dispatch or your manager and say, well, this is, they're not, they don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. And you, did, you didn't write down names of people. And all you do is just call and report problems. You're not ready to be a business person. If you're the guy that when you, you encounter a problem while you're at the shipper, even though you're a company driver, you have a calm head, you see the big picture of what's going on, you present the solution to the customer, like how about we do this or how about we try that? Would this work for you? And you know the name of the person you're speaking to, uh, and you know like all the details there. And if they still didn't try, now you can report back to your supervisor or dispatcher that you know we had this. This is what happened. They said this is the wrong product or whatever the case is, and this is my suggestion. Um, uh, this is my suggestion to fix it. They said that wouldn't work because of this reason. So here's the ultimate solution. They're saying we need to get this redispatch for tomorrow and to contact so-and-so. So, you know, if you're coming in with this approach, and I think if you've never closed a sale, and that's why it's really important that if you've never worked for a company, you got to work for a company that's a salesperson. Because like being an account manager for a big company mm-hmm. is not the same as being a salesperson. Because an account manager, you walk in, they assign you a territory and look after those customers in that defined territory. You may have to upsell a little bit, but did you actually have to pick up the phone and sell them? Did you have to actually convince them to switch suppliers for your product? Did you actually have to 
get through the door, that they wouldn't let you in, that you found a way in. And until you can do that, that's where the, when people talk about, sure, yes, there's the bad brokers out there, but for the most part, you got to remember, when, if a new person starts out brand new and just jumps in into the freight brokering world, I can guarantee you, you're not making a dime for six months. Three months if you're lucky, if you're really good. You're three to six months with no income. That's why 90%, uh, there's two, two typical ways that you become a broker. One, you work for, there's a brokerage looking for someone to help in operations. So they get you in there and they're teaching you saying, here, I got these five loads. I want you to, you know, you, you click on this here, you post the load there. I want, when carriers call you, you try to sell for this much. You learn how to use their, their TMS. So basically, you're you're kind of getting you you're you're got the you're on the back end already. Like you never did the front end. The, the loads are there. You're just helping to fulfill that. And you might even be helping with a little bit of you know check calls. You're learning the operations, but you actually haven't learned the sales. But if you're good and astute in what you're doing there, through that process, if the if the broker sees that you're good, they might say, hey, you know what? You should start in between when there's down times. You should start cold calling some customers. And then you, through that process, while you're, while you're getting paid by the broker itself, they might pay you some fee. Then they might say, okay, you get a customer. Now you broker that load, you get that commission, and then you build from there. That's one method. The other method is you're a person working somewhere and you heard about becoming a freight broker and you have a friend in the industry like Sage or myself. And let's say Sage had a friend that says, yeah, you know what? If, if you have any referrals, I'll help you out. If you have any flatbed freight, you find out I can't do vans. I've, if it's vans, I'll refer you to someone else. But let's right. say this guy says he works for some company selling steel pipe and he wants to get out of the gig, but he wants, he heard about the, the freight broker. So he thought, I know a bunch of people. So if he starts talking to them and they find out a lead saying, yeah, call Sharon and shipping. She's interested and would be willing to, to accept quotes. So if you pass it on to Sage and Sage makes the call, secures the customer, he starts getting commission. He does this enough that he makes a deal that once he gets enough, that those customers go back to, to that guy, to that person and maybe become right. an agent for them or whatever. You make an arrangement. But the, part, yep. the idea is he's making money at his regular job as he's building to the point he can flip over. Those right. are the two typical streams and how you build that. Um, but the reality is, is you do need some kind of, you need the sales experience because if you can't be, even if you have a great salesman experience, if you don't, if you're not a problem solver, you're going to struggle. Because right. if, all, if you're the person that's just a finisher, like you get the sale, but you're not, because I've seen all types. I have people that are great. They know they can get the customer, but when it gets into the finer details of all the intricacies about, well, hey, the shipper didn't tell me that there's this procedure and that procedure and how it affects the driver and the time and the rate. You know, if you're just a big picture person, then you should just stay as a national sales rep where you just do big picture business. You let someone else manage the operations. And there are some brokerages like that where you could go to a larger company and become just that you're strictly an outside salesperson. So there's multiple you know, facets in which to do it. But the point is, if you're a driver and thinking, well, one of my exit strategies, I want to run my own carrier. First and foremost, if you can't manage problems confidently by yourself, right. imagine adding other problems with two, three drivers not going to happen for you you're that will burn your company inside and out because you think well as they say the customer's right no you have to build a like as a broker when i hear there's a problem i put on both hats first i look at it everything from the carrier's perspective then i look at everything from the customer's perspective and then i look at the situation and identify and if it seems like there's two sides of the story you have to also 
have the ability, how do you, do you can you articulate a professional email to sell? Because sometimes when you're, when you're having a problem, <clears throat> you might have to have an audience of 10 people on this email and you have to present information in such a way to sell it to them, to mm -hmm. convince them, you know, to solve a problem of what happened. Even if the carrier is at fault, but you chose that carrier, i.e. that C.H. Robinson issue, if there's a problem, you have to build a how to manage that where, you know, if it, even if you have a carrier that, you you know, you could have a carrier that meets, checks all the boxes, but they have one driver that goes rogue on them and that could mess them up. Even if it's a drive, carrier you've worked with for years, you get right. one bad driver, like cash could hire a driver tomorrow that seems all good, checks all the boxes. You spent two weeks with the guy and he seemed really good. The you minute might you put him on his own, he's swearing at shippers. He's, you know, this and that, and you're getting complaints right away with, a, you yeah. know, none of your drive. Like, so there's a, but the point is, if you think about a wheel, take a spoke. I always like to think of everything in, in a wheel. You got your center hub on your professional business side. You have to think about all the avenue. Each spoke is a part. Marketing. You have to understand how to do that. How do you market yourself, whether it's a carrier or a broker? You have to understand your budgeting, where, you know, the skill sets and the tools you need for that. Dispatching, the operation side of it. Sales, you know, credit departments, accounts payable, accounts receivable, all these things. And you have to say to yourself, be, be realistic. If you start in the center, the higher, if you can go all the way to the top, that means that you're really confident in that one segment. Marketing, how confident are you and how much time are you spending? If it's only part way up, you know you need to spend more time there. How does that look like? And then accounting and so forth. Do you have all the tools in place? And that's no different than your personal life, right? When you put the wheel together and you say, how, you get family time, you know, fitness, uh, your mental health, all the, your your personal finances, where, do, where what does it look like? Can you draw a, a circle around and all those parts are equal? Life is not perfect. It's not always going to be perfect. Sometimes you might say, hey, right now we're renovating our basement. So we're going to spend a lot of time on that. My fitness might, I may not have the time for fitness between work and the renovations. So for two or three months, I understand that that was part of my plan. Then as soon as I'm done with the renovations, I'm going to get right back and I'm going to focus on the fitness for the next three months. That's going to be my biggest focus and vice versa. You're going to do that with your business, right? But the point is having a, uh, tools to help you manage your business. You need that. And one tool I like to help, it, it's great, is Trello because it's just a whiteboard with lists and allows you to make plans because you can keep track of your truck maintenance, your your you know information for your brokerages. You can create your simple CRM in there. You have a list, you make a list called potential leads and make a list of the people you want to call. Then, you know, researching the next column could be first call or first email, follow up and so forth. And you just move the cards along. Each card is, and then within that, you can have tasks and checklists and notes. And that's real simple to learn, simple to use. You can see it on your phone, see it on, on your laptop. And, and it's just a simple tool. There's lots of ways to get around it, but it's a matter of how much are you willing to invest to, to achieve your goals. Right. And I, and I think the issue is, is that that's part of business, right? That's part of business. That's a business mindset. And and this is what I truly believe is lacking in the industry from, from the, from the trucking side, from the bro, when they come in, uh, it's that understanding that, look, it, it, it's not just as a broker, you're not just snagging a load from a customer and posting it on the load board. It, well, that's all I do as a broker. No, it's not actually, it's not. There's a lot of other things you're checking. A lot of other things you're doing. You have to get yourself in that. I see this all the time. It's like, okay, how I'm, I've been calling customers. I can't get anywhere. All right. Well, I mean, you've been leaving messages and voicemails and at least doing that. Well, yeah. Okay. Okay. What do you say? Uh, you know, I'm looking to quote your freight. I've got access to a thousand. I'm like, Oh God, no, stop it. Stop it. Be different. Yeah. 
I'm I'm a little I I, I probably have uh, this is probably an unpopular opinion. Oh Lord, here we go. My unpopular opinion is, and this is because I was a carrier, because I was a driver. Yeah, me too. The, my unpopular opinion is that in my eyes, a lot of times, I think some of the biggest grief that truckers have, especially dealing with brokers, is that the fact that the broker has no skin in the game, legitimately no skin in the game, because the broker is a salesman, right? Yeah. Customer doesn't like you, doesn't like your sales strategy, doesn't yeah. like the fucking the carriers you pick, whatever. They just tell you to pound sand and stop calling you. Yeah. They find another one. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's no leverage in the game for a brokerage. Like in from the, from the sense of, from the sense of, of legitimate skin in the game. Yes. They have operating costs. Yes. They have an authority. Yes. They have a bond, but that's where it ends. Right. So it's the operating cost of an office, of a sales team, of a staff, of, of some general software requirements and things like that to get a brokerage up and running, right? So, I mean, Sage, you were there when I built mine, right? It was like a two-second process, especially having already gone through, you know, establishing a carrier and what it takes to go through DOT and that kind of crap. Yep. So, um, but, you know, from a standpoint of a, of a carrier, right, when I'm as a carrier, and, and I remember say just having this conversation, it was so one sided, when I first started up, because I was so uh, just pro carrier, damn the broker to hell, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I do still hold some, some reservations about the fact that a broker can become a broker so quickly and step into a market, because they are so under trained, because they are so, you know, I was talking actually to, um, to a buddy of mine is a broker at a, at a large firm and the mass majority of their brokers that come in, those agents that come in are simply handed these contracts. They're handed these customers, they're handed these accounts. Right. right. And to me, that's a bass awkward way of working when it comes to sales, because if you're just handed an account and all I have to do is manage, I've built nothing. Right. I've gained nothing. And then even from the standpoint of hiring a hiring a broker. Right. So I have a brokerage and I'm trying to hire some brokers to come in. Right. Trying to hire some sales agents. Right. And I made offerings of like twenty five thousand dollar base salaries with 50 percent commission, no cap. And I'll take it. Well, right. But see, now here's the thing. The mass majority of the people I spoke to said, hey, um, I need a bigger base. And I said, well, why do you need a bigger base? Well, I need a bigger base. Um, you know, I got to be able to live. You know, I got to build these contracts. They take time, blah, 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 blah. And I said, oh, so you mean you need some room so you can try to sell? And they're like, well, yeah. And I'm like, see, in my opinion, when I got good at sales, I had to live on my sales. I had no choice but to live on my sales. And right. I'm, and I'm, But again, I work from the, from the standpoint of I back myself into a corner. Anytime I need to do something... I need to generate more money. I need to generate more income. I back myself into a corner and deliberately have no choice but to work my way through it, right? I, I face that conflict head on and I give myself no way out. So I've got to go straight through it. And so I think there's a giant disservice being done to not only the customers, but to the carriers as a whole when you have a bunch of agents with no true sales experience, no true build experience, um, no true understanding of op like when you don't understand the cost of trucking, when you don't understand what a, what a carrier's cost are, um, when you don't understand the, the longevity that goes into dealing with these carriers. So you get these people involved and then these people get in 
and start negotiating on the better half of a giant brokerage that it's, it's great that they can do that. But at the same time, it's almost, it's in my opinion, it's a giant disservice because the person that you are putting on a contract to represent your brokerage absolutely knows zero. And so they're dealing with, you know, it's almost like, you know, here you deal with our problem. You deal with these carriers, push this load. Here's the cap. Here's what, you know, here's what we're going to move the lanes for. Don't move it for anything less than that. Put it at this rate and don't accept anything less. Right. And they're given that guidance and that directive on these large brokerages. Mm -hmm. And so when you're talking to a carrier, that's what their, that's what their guidance has been. They don't know anything. They don't really know the customer. They don't know how the operations are. They don't know the entrances, the exits. They don't know the holdups. They don't know the, the nuances of it. Right. And so I, I find myself torn because a lot of times I believe truly that a broker needs to have some skin in the game and they need to have some kind of, um, I, well, I guess it's a classic way of looking at trucking. I look at a trucking company like a trucking company should have their authority for carrier and an authority for a brokerage. They should be able to handle their own sales inside their own firm and deal with that directly. And that should be who approaches people for freight. The third parties that jump in the middle, um, that the third party uh, brokerages that jump in the middle, because they don't actually possess freight, they don't hold the freight, they don't actually take possession of anything. Their their skin in the game is their bond. Well, let me is, let me ask this. So, let me hang on, Ron, Let me jump this. So, skin in the game. So, what is a carrier skin in the game? The insurance, the truck, and the trailer, and all that, and the and the, the authority. That's your. That's what you're saying. Skin skin in the game, right? Well, also the possession. Right. The possession of that freight. Right. The dealing with the long terms of that freight so um, got it. when it okay. comes to the cost of trucking, when you look at the cost of trucking as a whole, yeah. the cost of trucking, the mass majority of the cost of trucking yeah. is is consumed by either shipper, receiver or carrier. So right? you, so here's here. So you're 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 buying into the industry. And then once you buy into the All right. Once you buy into the industry. There's free, not free freight, but there's free salesmen out there putting freight on a board for you to take. Once you buy in, you look at a board and you can pick loads once you buy into the industry, once you've paid to come in. So you're- You mean I can partner with somebody I've never met, hire a salesperson I've never met, who probably doesn't know the sales as well as they need to, who may or may not do their job appropriately- who may or may not actually be in negotiations with their care, their customer, who may or may not actually have ever talked to that customer. That's yes. the salesperson I need to hire. Well, but can I, I'll just interject and just give another perspective when you say, so first, when you say there's no skin of the game, okay, to a degree, a solo broker who goes out and gets their own authority and that's all they have is just them themselves running their business and they lose a customer, and just like Sage, Losing a customer, if you built up a customer and you lose that customer, sure, you yeah. think, oh, they'll just get another customer. But I can tell you, if you're not uh, if you're not in the game, like like I'm at the point and Sage is at the point where I don't cold call anymore. I haven't cold called for years. But if I knew if all of a sudden I lost a bunch of my customers, I'm going to, yeah, sure. Do I have the skill set and the ability to get customers back? Sure. But guess what? That's going to be three to six months. If I had to start all over and something happened that blew up that no customer would ever give me another load and had to start all over again. It's a three to six month process before I see right. cash flowing to me. So right. to say, and now let's say I'm, I did start as myself and Sage 
and he built up a team. He added uh, uh, some a couple back office people to mm-hmm. help him out, and he's paying this money and maybe even rented an office. And he loses that customer. Don't tell me he doesn't have skin in the game. Right. And my, and my skin might be the knowledge and the experience that I have, which is time. Like, so if you're a lawyer, right, you you're, you just your skin in the game is the fact. Right, but it's t- it's time and from what extent, right? It's time behind a computer screen and behind a cell phone, mm. right? And uh, so no, no. Here's a here's the thing, right? So there is, and I and I truly believe this, that a broker has no idea what a trucker does until they operate as a trucker, ride with a trucker, do the job of a trucker. Sure. They have no clue. Sure. They have no understanding. So they're, they can presume whatever they like. You can presume you understand it. You can watch YouTube videos and, and see truckers do trucking stuff. Mm-hmm. But to understand the cost, right, to understand the issues with DOT on, uh, on Blitz Week, to deal with, mm-hmm. um, you know, loss of home time, to deal with l- lack of family issues, right? To deal with that wife who tells you she's gone when you're in Washington and live in Oklahoma, to deal with the breakdown on the side of the road, waiting for hours for some guy who doesn't want to change your tire to show up, right? I- and then, but so I'm getting from that point, right? So what I'm getting to this is from the standpoint of somebody who sits in an office, what I'm getting at is the viewpoint from the carrier, right? So the viewpoint from the carrier is, Here's this person sitting in an office. Yes, they paid for the office. Yes, mm-hmm. they paid for technology. Yes, they've chosen this career. And yes, they've gained a customer. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. they don't have the liability to that situation as the as the carrier does because the carrier has the, the giant debt for the truck. They have the giant debt of the fuel, right? They have the expenses just like everybody does for the living expenses. But in, in addition to that, right, is that their health every day is impacted by it. Not to say that brokers don't, but what I'm getting at is I think if you have no real, if you don't, my, I guess my way of stating it would be this. Mm-hmm. I think if you go into a broker, you need to start in the trucking industry and be a trucker, understand trucking, move through trucking, move through carrier, move to broker. There should be some level of hierarchy so that you don't skip the mark and have brokers out here that don't even understand what it costs a truck to operate. So when you give pricing to a customer, right, you're mm-hmm. over, I, I, cause I've ran in, I've assumed, I've consumed customers from other brokerages that mm-hmm. I know are out there taking those customers or at one time had those customers. And I've, I've gained those customers because I understand the actual cost of that trucking movement and what it actually costs. And I understand what margins are needed for a brokerage to move. And I can see how they were getting destroyed before by prior brokerages because the prior brokerages were selling them on this idea of what it costs to do trucking, not from a realistic standpoint, but from a standpoint of, I need to make enough of a margin to live on. And I think that there's a giant disservice being done with that because when you overbill a shipper, when you Mm -hmm. overbill a customer, when you're Mm -hmm. overbilling those people, because you're trying to, you're, you've got another person who needs a hundred thousand dollar career in the middle of this, right? So there's going to be an exuberant cost associated with that. Right. And I do get that they provide some services, right. Where they make it easier for a, uh, for a shipper not having to track it down. And I'm not saying that there aren't issues I have with the carrier side, but I just think that if you are going to be a broker, you mm-hmm. should have to understand the process of trucking you should, from the ground level, from the ground floor, and then move up into a brokerage position. I'd never in my life 
what I have imagined that a 22, 21-year-old person could walk into a giant freight brokerage industry, mm-hmm. go work for them as an agent, and somehow start moving freight around and talking freight numbers and statistics and routing and, and the work and all this stuff and having never done it. It's like, you know, talking out of the side of your neck. Well, let me ask a question. Do you think Henry Ford ever built a motor? Um, from the concept of putting it all together by himself. Do you think Henry Ford could break down a transmission and put it back together again? I think at some point he'd have to understand the process of doing no, it. He didn't. It's a famous quote for him that they asked him about how the new transmission in the Ford uh, worked. And he's like, I don't know. I hire that guy. Well, right. But what, at what point in his career was that? What that That's what I'm trying to say. At, it, it, at some point you have to, it, it's, and here's how I look at it. Right. When I came in, <clears throat> it's my skin in the game is my knowledge and my time. And no, my, you came in. No, hold on. You came in from the trucking side. I did, but I didn't come in from the overdimensional side. No, but you came in from the trucking side. Correct. Right. But, so you understood trucking. Okay. My wife did not. My right, wife. No, but, but you can train that person, right? Sure. But what I'm saying is that when you say skin in the game, okay, mm-hmm. skin in the game, we're talking, not the training, but skin in the game. There, you come in and there are loads for you to haul. You have money that is out there for you. A freight broker, an agent comes in and there is no money. No, there's, I understand that. So there's nothing for him. There's no load board for him to pull loads. There's no customer board. So even though his skin in the game is the amount of time that he put in to get a customer to be able to give to you, that skin well, in the game is how how. Uh, I mean, yeah, but how yeah, hard but, is it to make a sales call and post it on a load board, dude? We just talked about this. Oh, cash, no cash, effort. cash! I challenge you. You say you ha- you're willing to pay a base plus commission to to for to gain brokerages. <clears throat> Find five owner operators that want to get out of their truck, or drivers that are currently company drivers. Bring them on in, and see how long they survive. How many months will they go? Uh, how long it's going to take them to actually secure a load, secure a customer? To say that. Those drivers are going to be able to walk in and get a get a customer. I, I think if, if so all those drivers so ever would done, you say that it's would you say it's right then to pay these guys you know exuberant base salaries for no. them to sit in an office no. and make three or four phone calls a week? No, because what you basically tell that person is they're not ready to be a freight broker. They, what you're not you're not looking to hire an inexperienced person who was flipping burgers yesterday. You're looking to hire somebody who has some type of sales experience. Right. And with, with that being said though, how come the large brokerages hire those same people? Because that's my disservice I'm talking about. Because they want to train them from the ground up. They want to mold them the way they want. Correct. And mold them. Coca-Cola is no different in any other company that has a big national sales company. Procter Gamble sales agents Hmm. are the same. They want to see young, young people that don't have bad habits from another company. They train the habits they want. And to say, like, I think that I came into this industry with not being, I never had my class one, never have. But guess what? I did have some trucking knowledge because of my Coca-Cola background and my exposure to trucks there. But guess what I did? When I came in to this industry, every single load that came in, I visited because I thought my first impression was, yeah, I'll spend my days uh, driving around in my town and I'll travel and I'll see customers. And what I quickly discovered was setting up appointments all day long to try to set up appointments. I'd get maybe, if I was lucky, six to eight appointments in a day. And that was hustling. 
because you try to coordinate times. Sometimes you go there and the people weren't there. And then I discovered you could make 50 phone calls. So then I realized no more, no more cold call face-to-face. -face. I come and visit you after either we've, I've quoted you a couple times and you haven't given me your business. I'd say, can I come down and meet you face-to-face? -face? Maybe that would convince them to give me the business or I quoted them. They accepted the rate. I moved the load. Now I come down. And I don't know if Cash, if well, it's I know I'm blocked on the screen, but Cash, if you can see this, I, I you can see you. this. He's got headphones. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'll, I'll show I'll show Cash right here. So I got when I leave my house, I got this bag. It's got this safety vest, hard hat, and what's the most important piece as a broker? My tape measure. Where did I learn this? Coca-Cola. Was I, was I a, a, ever a technician at Coca-Cola? No. But I sold to convenience stores. I sold fountain. I sold to restaurants. I always had to measure the, the space to install a cooler, to install the fountain machine. They wanted a vending machine. I sold all of that. I had to learn that. I had people mentor me to do this. And so the point, the point being is that I spent hours upon hours. I would go anytime I can in the early morning to meet a driver for delivery. In the evenings, if it was a late afternoon pickup, I would meet a flatbed driver. I had wide loads I was doing and I would help them sling dunnage, uh, getting straps ready, throwing tarps, helping them roll the tarps out. And they're like, who are you? I'm like, right. I'm so statistically, Rob, statistically, how many brokers are like you? Very few. Very few. Right. So that's what I'm getting at. It's a giant disservice. Yeah. Because th that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying, right? When you're, when you take somebody, who negotiates with a carrier who's running a business and you have a 21 year old agent on the phone who knows nothing, who mm -hmm. is negotiating with that carrier who's running a business. Mm -hmm. Does that agent have any skin in the game at all at that point? Is it not a W2 job? Let me, put it, let me put it in perspective. Okay. You hire uh, an insurance agent when you hire someone in that has, yeah, I was a salesperson for uh, some cell phone company. I was a salesperson. I sold tires for so and so. Okay, so you have good. They they confirm they got good. You know the professional. They got good salesmanship, and they want to get into the insurance industry. Do they know anything about policies and understanding how to assess it and all this stuff? No, that falls on you as the broker to right. train the people the way you want. So I, the thing I could say to you, if you're bringing people on, you either have two ways. If you're offering a base, that means that you're appealing to people who have no broker experience Correct. so you either have to have some third-party company assisting you or you have appropriate ads that you're offering two two paths to join your your business one you're looking for a broker who's not happy with their a broker agent who's currently not happy with their existing brokerage has a book of business feeling that that, that broker's doing a disservice to their customers doing a disservice to the carriers not paying the carriers on time and they're looking for a better opportunity and that they can come to you and sit down and they have 10, 15, 20 customers. And you're like, all right, the minute they start with you, they have loads ready to move. You're paying them the straight commission deal that you have. That's one option. The second option, when you're offering a base, that means that you have to have cashless training school. Day one, they're not even cold calling. The first 10 days you bring them on, maybe that's how you have to start is if you pre-screen them and maybe that's the strategies. If you find that right person who has the right personality, they have a current job doing something that's not what their ultimate goal is, but they have a job. Maybe it's, you say, you know what? 
If you're if you met them and go through the interview process, and you ask all the right questions to to weed them out, and you're like, this person is trainable. I can get this person to where they want to go. Now you say, you know what? There's two choices. Either you're going to have to work for a few weeks where you're not going to get much income, or you can keep doing your job. I'll offer you a couple nights a week and maybe a couple Saturdays where we do some workshops and you have two or three people and you train them. You're going to train them right from the onset about the whole sales process that you want to see, your expectations. You're going to train them about explaining. Like I've I've shown to Sage uh, and to uh, Snorlord, I have a whole, I can share with you cash one day if you want privately. I have an entire presentation that explains all this. Right. And, and remember, all the pro so you're going to do all the training that you want and you're going to explain to them the different types of equipment and the capacities and the theory would be is when you have a new person, are you going to put a new person to doing heavy haul? No. no. <laughs> are you even put them on flatbed or hotshot? No. They're strictly doing van freight. Because think about it this way. Take, take YRC or Old Dominion Freight. When you call their customer service, did all those people were drivers? No. no. They're not. And so I'll show you another example of, you know, again, being having the right training. Do you mind if I share a screen, Sage? Uh, yeah, hang on one sec. You can look at it first. No, I trust you. And just why he's doing that, remember, too, that the person that you're talking to, if they're just hiring him, it's like hiring the person at the cash register, right? They're coming in just hoping to eventually move up in the ranks. But you're not looking – that first person you're talking to is not uh, – it's not their job to – their job is to say, look, I have 1,500, and they're and my this is my job. I'm I'm – all I am is customer service. That's all I'm doing. Right, but that is, but that's the representative that a carrier who has that skin in the game is forced to deal with, right? So imagine if you were a if you were a C level executive of a supply chain vendor for a grocery company, and the person they give you to talk to is a cash register agent. Could you imagine being a C level executive of a vendor for a grocery store? And your point of contact is the cash register agent. How insulting and tiring would it be to deal with that person every day as a cash register agent when you've got, you know, a, 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 an entire business that's dependent upon doing work. And this person is the only representative contact you have on the front lines that's dealing with you every day. And they don't know Jack diddly twat about what they're moving. Now I'm not saying that a base isn't used to initially hire people in. What I'm saying is I know brokerages, brokerages and brokers who have seven plus years in business who still catch a base, who still never got off a base, no, who were handed you, contracts to come in with. You, you should make your contingent that the base is only applicable for year one. After, right, you CQL, should, but TQL which, doesn't which, do that. They, CH the Robinson way that, doesn't do that. When you I know, started, they, I did have a base. The person that mentored me on did give me a base, but the goal was six months. Within six months, correct. I should be bringing enough freight in that I'm making more than my uh, base. And I right. You should be doing sales, right? And so that's what I'm getting at. And I'm not saying that they're not tiered structures at some point, but what I'm getting at is when you're putting that person into making decisions, right, and points mm -hmm. of contact, like I, I can I can tell you that I've dealt with some major brokerages. And when I go to sending an email back to somebody, I might get 20 different representatives of the same business who are involved with dealing with the load. And then as the owner of the business, when I'm looking for the point of contact of who to contact or to get an answer from, I've got to go through. Well, at one point I was speaking to Joe. Now it's Dylan. Now it's a now it's a Fred. Now it's some other guy named Mark. And 
all of these people are calling in for updates and statuses and this and that and the other. And you're dealing with these folks that have no actual business in involving themselves in the particular transaction that's moving the freight. And so what I'm getting at is that's the disservice I'm talking about is when you have to feed a third party company, which has no trucks at all in the cost of business of shipping goods, when you have to feed a company who's got millions in overhead with staff and logistics and, and, and all this crap with technology and whatever, when a customer, a shipper and the end user have to pay for all of that third party space at the end of the day, that's the disservice I'm talking about. The cost of goods are high because of everybody eating off the apple before the apple hits the ground. So Rather than the Apple just moving through the chain of the people that are actually taking possession, have an actual cost of doing the business and moving it along, you've got a third party, which is a giant chunk. I mean, th some of these brokerages have massive contracts that have obtained all of these contractual spaces and have convinced. I mean, what was a lawsuit with C.H. Robinson? Misrepresentation as a carrier because they're misrepresenting themselves when they speak to the customer. The customer doesn't know. The customer assumes you probably have some form of truck. And then no, you, no, have, I, when you well, have to put that, in a rate up to the salesperson. That's up to the salesperson to present that because I made it clear when I've called, because I've had times where I've reached out to people, got through to their logistics manager and find out that they say, oh, we don't deal with non, we only deal with asset-based carriers. Okay. Sure. So the, yeah. the point is, is that you have to, because think about when, when they say there's no skin in the game, if you're a small brokerage and you're factoring your loads, maybe you don't. But I've been part of brokerages where we've been burned. In one year, we lost over $150,000. Why? We paid carriers and woke up one morning and the customer says we're in financial protection and we couldn't go after them. And we were number 22 or 25 on the right, list so of my, other vendors. My question is, is the bond in your name, Rob, or in the business's name? The bond would right. be in the business name. Right. So do you own the business or do you work for the business? Me, I'm working. Well, for me, I'm an agent, but I'm saying that when if you regardless. So what I'm, what I'm getting at is I own the business. So if my business screws up, I'm on the hook. My skin in the game is me being on the hook. The yeah. problem I have is the people I deal with aren't on the hook. That's so their, their level of commitment is not the same as mine when I'm on the hook for the, re for the result. Right. Are. Employees uh, are people that are not on the hook. If they right. want I, hook, they wouldn't. I, I, right. I, I get that. I understand that those employees aren't going to be necessarily on the hook. What I'm saying is, is that when you have brokerages that don't have people, like when you have a brokerage that has all these contracts and all these people in position, yes, right, and none of them have any clue what's going on, but they're dealing with people who are on the hook. That's what I'm getting at. You have somebody who's at disproportionate levels. You have somebody who's not on a hook dealing with somebody who is on a hook. Right, let You're me talking about a cash register person dealing with an owner of a business. Right. And it's a two different, two let different me, concepts here. Let me give you an example. All right, let me give you a quick example too. My wife did installation management. Mm -hmm. She went to some place and she basically went to a school and said, I need 27 desks. I need them all right here. They need to be exactly this far apart. And she'd walk around the tape measure and make sure if they're supposed to be 12 inches apart and they're 11, she would say, move that desk. Okay. Now she was dealing with businesses, but it was their job. If they didn't get it right, they would be fine. They, it would, that's, you, you see, but she technically had no skin in the game. She had no skin in the game. 
the people that were delivering the freight and putting the things together and, and, and installing it had the skin in the game because she was an employee. Right, but I'm getting... Okay. Go ahead. If you have an agent... Yes. And I'm trying to gain detention, as we were bringing up earlier, right? I'm trying to acquire detention for wasting my time at a, at a facility. Hang on, and hang the on. person hunting hang down the rate hang isn't on. a person who cares. Stop, stop. First of all, we have to establish one thing. The person you're talking to at TQL might not be an agent. He might just be paid by the hour and he's answering the phone. Mm -hmm. Rob is an agent. I'm a mm -hmm. broker. So right. when you talk to Rob, you're right. You 100% should be talking to someone who's knowledgeable and knows about it. If you're mm -hmm. talking to me, 100%, I better be knowledgeable. But if you're talking to a person on the phone who is just an employee. They, they okay, so let me bring the conversation we had in about factoring. What was the conversation we had about factoring? You stated we're working on a tiered structure because somebody who's at tier three shouldn't be talking to someone who only works with tier one customers. Correct. Well, that's what I'm getting at. It's the same concept. Why would you have somebody who's a business owner dealing with someone who is not actually on the hook with anything and who's brand new to the game? If I'm dealing with somebody on the phone who mm -hmm. doesn't understand what the product is, when they say, well, let's see, uh, there, uh, it says the products this, it says, do you know what you're moving? Do you know what you're committing to? Do you know what you're committing me to? Because I'm the one who has to take possession. I'm the one who's going to be responsible if what I'm committing to isn't accurate. Let so when you don't know, let me it ask, puts me in a bind. Let me ask this. So what should your next step be? Your next, if I was that carrier, I'd say, can I speak to your supervisor? Right. So should I do that for everyone I speak to? Uh, in my opinion, yes. And then you would say, look. Right. That's what I'm getting at, right? So it's, it's, not that, it's not that I don't agree with brokerages being brokerages. I believe every broker should operate the way you and Rob do. I don't believe they do. The disservice I'm talking about is when you have untrained professional people who have no actual skin in the game. Rob has skin in the game. He's committed his entire life to understanding his game. But the people I'm dealing with and the people that most carriers deal with on a daily basis have no skin in the game and have not committed the time and don't leave their office. Most of them don't go visit their customers and most of them don't know the product they're moving your other than pictures are presented with from drivers. But I, I, Your turn, Rob. <laughs> I was going to say, well, <laughs> I guess here's the thing. I guess to, to make the summary then, the blame starts at the FMCSA. Uh, and, why, and why I say that is when you apply as a, to your point to help solve this issue, because the brokers can do what they want. They can hire agents. They can hire salespeople. They can hire admin staff. They can hire operations people. They can hire lawyers, right? So it's the broker who is the direct connection to the industry. What a broker chooses to do is no different than McDonald's. You can go out and buy a Subway or a McDonald's franchise. How you operate it, you may, you could be that guy that goes out and buys five Subways. You're the owner. You mm -hmm. hire a manager to oversee those five, a district manager. Then you hire managers for each location. And then you got your staff. So it's your, your management of how you're doing that. Yeah, you may have sales reps coming into the thing, trying to upsell you on products and stuff. Well, you know, you're, how you manage it is how you manage it. So the, at the end of the day, it starts with, and I agree with you that maybe when you apply for a, a brokerage MC, there has to be a test that the FMCSA puts through. 
doesn't have to be complicated, but just enough to respect the moving parts in the industry. And it, that's how we can help. Because uh, again, on the flip side of this, when you have, there's companies out there that are multi-billion dollar companies. And what are they doing? They, why can't they afford their own logistics department to start calling and vetting their own? Most of the time, if you ask a shipper, do you vet? They say, oh, well, we have some carriers we use. How do you vet them? What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. They say, we say, well, check their insurance and safety. Oh, I don't know. We just, it's the same carriers we've used for a long time. They don't understand all this. Now, there's other shippers I've seen. I have some shippers that have really complex contracts to become a broker or a carrier for them. And you're signing, as a carrier, some of these shippers have contracts that if you're signing up, it's not use, it's not carrier friendly to the advantage of the carrier. No. They're, they're, so, it, it, so why is it these multi-billion dollar companies are relying on uh, newer brokerages to help them out. Why? Because they know that they're hungry for the business. Yep. They will fight tooth and nail to get you the cheapest rate possible. So think about it. If I'm a business, I could sit there and call 15 carriers and talk to them. Instead, I'll just get two or three brokers. I send them an email, one email to five people. And guess what? Those five brokers are going to fight like the fish, goldfish in the bottom of an empty tank to fill that freight for me. And I'll sit back and wait for the best rate. And if they falter, sometimes if it's an urgent load, I might say, I want, I'll go with who I, who I see as the most reliable. But if it's not urgent freight, they're buying and selling goods, I'll just go with the cheapest. And if they falter, well, I'll move on to the next one and so forth and so forth. Because they take advantage of the marketplace. Correct. So I would say in, in your scenario, when you're running as a brokerage, that the, you know, the FMCSA should probably have a bit more to, to sign up to become a carrier and or a broker. Because once you be, have the broker, you've got the agents. But for your point, to solve the issue, if you want to be one of the, the factors that helps improve the industry, you have two choices. You're going to spend a long time to try to find experienced agents. That's going to be the hardest way. Or you're going to bring new people on and you're going to train them the way that you want them to be doing the business and representing your company because they're an agent. Like for me, I'm an agent. And if I take a loss on the load, I, I, it, it, it's reflected negatively on my commissions. So I do have a, a, a hit on the load. I, right. have a, I have skin in the game in that regard. If my customer, depends on how you structured your, your system. When my company says, uh, Rob, you have a customer that's overdue on their credit, they're at their credit limit, I respect it. I don't try to say, well, can you, can you just help them this one time? Let's get this next. No, because if they owe, if they owe us fifty thousand dollars, and they have another five thousand dollar load, and then they forego on that, and I convince them of that, my company's out the fifty five thousand dollars. Imagine ten agents do that. And the same thing. And my point is, and Rob, in perfect example, Rob, you hire somebody and they're on the phone, right? And you're, you're, I, I, they don't know what they're doing, and I say, hey, can I speak to your supervisor, please? And and the first thing they're gonna they're gonna go to you and say he he wants to talk to you and you get on the phone you're gonna be like what's going on and I'm gonna say something like uh, I tried to talk to your guy he didn't know what the freight was he didn't know you know what the pickup times were or, or whatever right and, and then Rob's gonna say well I, let me handle this and this is the load this is the info this is what it is this is what it is once he gets off the phone with me now the he now Rob knows he hasn't trained that person on the phone properly and now Rob's gonna go to that person and say what happened. Did you, you know, oh, well, I didn't know. Now, a lot of times when you don't explain that this person doesn't know, nobody's correcting that person. Like, how do I know somebody that I hired is bad at what they're doing if I'm not getting feedback or, or sometimes, right? I should be checking on them, 
But you're, in my opinion, I, I would rather them say, can I speak to, to your supervisor on this one? If they don't know what they're doing. Rob, Rob, wouldn't you want them to say that to you? Exactly. But you know, you know what's funny is you get, it's so funny in how a lot of companies are weak at certain things. Like say a, you, call a, you call a place and say a driver calls you, says, hey, I've been here for two and a half hours. They're still not loading me. And then you call them. So they're struggling to, to load trucks in a timely manner. But yet, when you call that warehouse, Mm-hmm. The one thing that a lot of companies do very, very well is they've, even if it's the most basic entry level person, they <laughs> sure, they sure has taught them how to filter calls and be gatekeepers. You know, right. many times I call and they're like a part-time person. They're like, you ask for the manager, so-and-so, the man, even if you know the manager by name and they say, um, what's this about? Well, I need to speak to the manager about this situation. Who's calling? Right. Like they ask all these questions and yet they're part-time staff. So the companies they the companies pick and choose what's important for them to train their staff on, right? And so that's so at the end of the day, this whole industry no different than any other industry, the airline industry and so forth. It's training. It's yeah. all about training, and it takes each company that opens up opens their door for business to provide proper training. What's the difference between a great restaurant and a not so great restaurant? You have good waiters and good waitresses. Why? Probably they didn't screen them properly. They didn't um, train them properly. Just like when you're hiring people, it's amazing cash. But if you're hiring people and doing interviews, having a second person sitting on the interview asking questions, because like, I'm, I'll be honest, my weakest skill, I hired someone this year and I went through a process and I, I, could, I won't bore you the whole details unless you ever want to hear about it. I can, I'm willing to share it. But yes, the point that, was, that might I, be a- I, the, the, the summary is having a person, a second person with a set of eyes helps give perspective because they ask some questions that I, like I figured out after the first couple of interviews exactly what the kind of person I was looking for. And I found that exact person. But just through some really simple key questions, an example, in a, in a freight brokerage, you need someone with computer skills. An nice. example being, let's say some driver. Oh, yeah, I've been driving for 20 years and all this. Has he ever done operations? Was he the, ever the safety manager? Did he ever get involved in anything to understand the back office? How, so you ask a question like this. Let's say your TV goes out or your internet goes out on, on your, uh, at home. What do you do? If they say, oh, I, I get my son. Because I had a person. <laughs> I was hiring to do computer freight auditing role for me and that was their response i get my son is that the person i want to hire that's going to be working on a computer all day long no you want to you want a son actually well, exactly you, <laughs> and 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 i and this is and we're not nobody's picking it, it it's tough because i used to i used to tell this all the time when dr- people would hire drivers and they do an interview i used to tell them don't interview your drivers have somebody else interview you at that driver that's going to work for you because at that point you know it, it, it it's when you're when you're asking these questions and you're looking for someone and this is the part of you hiring someone someone who comes in that's why people there's you know you do multiple interviews you do one interview or second interview or third interview is because you're trying to hire the person right for the job if you're just snagging somebody who can't sell who's never done this then it, it's your fault for hiring, for picking the wrong person, right? And, hey, Cash, I, I'll, I'll share it to, I have to pull it up after I, after I finish the, the share screen thing. There's yeah. a tool out there. I'll get the name of the website. 
And what it does, and this may help you save time, because obviously if you're trying to add people, there's a whole bunch of time factor of receiving the resumes, reviewing it all, and all this stuff. There's a, there's a website that I'll guide, I can get, I'll get the name of the website. And what it does is you go on there and you set up the questions so that you set up questions and then it allows the person to do a video response. Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like your pre-screen. Then you can ask the key questions and or skill sets. Do something like show me, you know, put together like whether it's a simple like show me an example of an introductory, like record a message, like send me, you know, share with me how you would, you know, call a, a new client. Right, cool. So yeah. whatever it is. So you have a website, this whole thing, then the idea is then it allows you to better get a sense of them before you even go through the interview process, putting five, six, seven questions on there that they have to video response back to. You get to see them in person, see how they react. And, and you also, you know, then look at the resume and you can see how the resume does. Because often you can have a resume that looks great. Their responses on the interview is not good. Sometimes people are shy and, you know, they have a bad interview, but actually they would be a great employee. So it takes, right. a, there's, a, there's quite a, a process to hiring this. And also, if you want to be, you know, an agent, if you want agents, because see, the minute you're, you're putting a base, you're now treating them as employees. So that, that changes your whole business. You right. now have to supply all the tools, the desks. But if you can get someone who says, there, maybe you, for three months you train you you put you bring them on as a contractor as a signed contract and then the goal is that they become an agent they get their own sole proprietor name and then then there's that true arm distance where they're they're like an owner operator but they're an, they're an agent that's how it works with me I have a sole proprietor name my company sends me a statement of the commissions they're paying I send back because in Canada we have to pay GST so I send them an invoice for said amount they're paying plus the GST, and then every three months, I have to remit the GST to the Canadian government. And I'm responsible if I pay someone. I have a field, subfield agent contract, but I'm responsible to follow all my rules and regulations of how I'm treating my person as a contractor or an employee. And as long as I'm, I have to be, I sign a contract that I will be compliant for my jurisdiction of where I work from. And hey, so, do they have know, to? Do they have to work in Texas, or can they work someplace else? You talking to me? Yeah. Do they have to work someplace else? Uh, the people I hire? Yeah. No, they can be from anywhere. All right, I got somebody for you. I got the perfect person. But I mean, I'm, and, uh, the thing the thing I'm getting at, right, is is not just about hiring the broker, right? So what I'm what I'm trying to get across here is the big picture, right? So if you have a cost of a TV to make the TV, right, and you're mm -hmm. shipping the TV, when you put all these third party people in the mix right? The, the disservice comes in when the cost becomes exuberant because everybody needs their chunk of change to live on. Correct. And so what I'm getting at is, and, and this is just as much a carrier problem as it is anything else, right? So I'm not putting, I'm not pinpointing this entire blame of this conversation onto a broker thing. What I'm saying here is I believe the, the carriers have to put this on themselves to enact their own brokerages, hire their own sales staff, and start mitigating and pulling in their own freight. Because to be honest, when we look at the technology that a carrier uses, it is almost identical to the technology I need as a brokerage. So mm -hmm. when I look at it from a cost of operation standpoint, the reason I can beat out a third party broker is because I don't need a giant you know, building full of agents calling on behalf of everything to make it work if we're pulling it with our own trucks and we're operating it with our own 
our own equipment, right? There's a profit gain from that as well. So the profit gain from the trucking company partnered in addition with the profit gain from the brokerage and the logistics company equals a sizable enough profit that makes sense. And what it does is it allows that shipper to then move product more efficiently and for a better overall cost to them. But again, now I will say this, coming from the carrier side of things, when I give a load to somebody mm-hmm. or to a truck, I understand the cost of them operating that truck to that destination, right? And I know what it costs to move that truck because I have my own trucks that move them. So I know what the cost is. So when I get in there and I put a number up and I say, hey, guys, this is what we've got on it, blah, 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 blah. I don't typically have a hard time covering loads because I know the number I need to get to. But it's, you know, and and I'm not saying that's foolproof because there's many times I've misevaluated something. But what I'm getting at is the, the third party person that comes in, right, that is that agent. Yeah. Anytime you have the potential to cause liability to other companies, I think there has to be some level of responsibility involved here. Well, there There is. And and it can't just be, because here's the problem. I'm a carrier. Yeah. With a few trucks. If I go to a massive conglomerate brokerage who has all all these people doing conversations and I were to get into a legal battle with them, yeah. Financially, who sustains the legal batter, the legal battle better, right? It's going to be that giant conglomerate brokerage sure. that's, that's consumed all of this. At the end of the day, though, they didn't touch the freight. They didn't take possession of freight. They aren't actually delivering the freight. They're not strapping a load. They're not doing anything regarding that other than simply putting together the load to the truck, which... Well- you're, but you're looking at that as a single individual load. Obviously, if you're going to deal with, let's say, C.H. Robinson, right? And you and C.H. Robinson. C.H. Robinson has built, they, they have more skin in the game than you do. Way more skin in the game than you do. They've got buildings and freight and ocean containers and ocean liners they're dealing with. They're dealing with rail. They have way more skin in the game. Than any than you do as a carrier, right? They also consume more contracts than anybody, right? So, right. What I'm saying is that if you're you're basing you're you're basing it on one load. I, 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 well, I have, what do you think a carrier lives by? Do you think the carrier lives by a conglomerate contract? No, the carrier, the average carrier, and we're talking about ninety six point four percent of correct. our market is comprised of people that operate with less than twenty trucks. So when you have the mass majority of the market operating with less than 20 trucks and the mass majority of contract owners being third-party logistics companies, you have a problem. This is a systemic giant problem. Right, Third-party logistics companies that own the contracts and the mass majority of people moving those freights and actually moving the loads have less than 20 trucks. Welcome. So it's, that's the problem. Welcome to capitalism. Yeah. Well, well, that's no, the, no, well, I, I should, that. the I guess the question then comes down to that is should the FMCSA say that you can't enter as a carrier until you have X amount of fleet or but, the, but then you got the, the insurance battle. So it's, you know, here's the reality shippers. So let's take CH Robinson or any other big coyotes, big, large, massive freight brokerages that are mm-hmm. dominating the market. So they have their, their fleet of salespeople and they come up to some 
horse supply company in Iowa. And they say, well, you ship freight? Yeah, we do. How often? Well, once a month. Mm -hmm. Are they interested in that business? Absolutely not. So the, the, imagine this. Take, take for example, it's 20, we are in 2022. And what living, uh, sorry, Landstar's model has not changed lots with their agents. Correct. BCOs. So let's take this. Landstar allows agents to find to load to scour load boards, mm-hmm. find small. That's what that's how it works right now. Ag- these agents for Landstar's find these small brokerages with loads, and they call them up and saying, "Hey, I see you have these loads posted. We can help you expand that by getting it onto the Landstar road." So all of a sudden, these small brokerages are hungry to cover the loads, and they think, "Great, let's do it." So let's take this. Sage can answer this question. Yeah. Imagine if Landstar told all agents effective tomorrow, you can no longer call another broker for a load. You have to find your own freight. How many? How much? How many agents would disappear off the Landstar? Well, there's like two thousand agents. I was a Landstar agent. I'm gonna. I'm gonna honestly say I will bet you easily from fifteen to eighteen hundred would be gone. Exactly. I, 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 that's an honest. So, so, but so, so on that note, a broker can co-broker. Uh, Lance, uh, what Landstar forces you to do is if you sign, like I'm a broker and I, I have to sign their agreement to be able to work with them. They right. force me to sign a co-brokering agreement. Sure. Why can I not do that as a carrier? No, no, hang on. But also if I, if they're putting it on their truck, they're not bro- double brokering it. It's exactly. only, it's only double brokered if they put it on an outside truck. So That's the way I, right. I, I use I, Landstar. I, I only used it on a Landstar truck only. Right. I tell my the Ivan Landstar agent that I say, look, do not put mine on the outside board. It has to be a Landstar truck if you take this load, and I'll need a Landstar truck number. And and so that that is not a co-brokering agreement. They do make you sign one, but you have to tell your. Right. But what I'm what I'm getting at is that avenue exists. It doesn't exist in the carrier world. So what I'm what I'm saying is when you have a disproportionate amount of people involved, and mind you, Landstar doesn't use their own trucks. Landstar doesn't own a truck. They own trailers. So Landstar right. is using outside carriers, right? Outside truckers, right? Because they don't own the asset. They don't have the asset that moves right. the load. Whoever owns the asset is ultimately who's got the leverage in the situation, right? But it's positioned in a way right now where mm-hmm. the mass majority of truck drivers, and I, like I said, I think it's a carrier problem. You have the mass majority of carriers who do not work together in any sense of the word. Then mm-hmm. you have third-party logistics companies who have no assets mm-hmm. who are somehow taking the mass majority of contracts. How is that possible, right? But here's the, here's the a, kicker. It's a systemic so situation. Let's take your scenario. So you're saying, okay, let's do to this, with, considering the skin of the game. Mm-hmm. If you went out there and you approached Costco, how easy would it be for you to get Costco freight for your fleet or General Motors freight? Whereas if you go to Livingston or see a Coyote, see a Robinston, all of a sudden you may or go to a Chop Tank or so forth, you could easily get Costco freight, General GM freight. Uh, Procter and Gamble freight that you as a one, two, three, four, less than twenty truck carrier, you're to get your foot in the door impossible. Right. So I'm forced to go through a third party logistics company. No, you're not forced. You're no, not- no, you are. And, and and in addition to this, and I agree. Um, this is a two part thing here. 
Logistics companies making brokers sign non-competes is just as bad as logistics companies making carriers sign non-competes. Yeah, it is one hundred percent. My reasoning to get behind getting a brokerage wasn't because oh, I woke up one day and can't wait to be a broker. It was because we had so many non-competes in place that if I wanted to go to most people to go and and bid on their freight, I needed to be a completely separate authority to do so. It wasn't because I did it out of the necessity or drive one day of waking up going, you know what? I want to be a broker. I woke up and said, man, I can't move this guy's freight because I've got so many non-competes in place with all these third-party logistics companies I've been forced to use when I started that I've got to go ahead and open a brokerage to circumvent that process entirely. And that's the problem I'm getting at is that because I had to do that, that's why I'm looking at this from a standpoint of saying, dude, that's not that shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be in a position where I'm forced to now that I've done a load for Lowe's or or done a load for Yellow Lumber or whoever I pulled it for, you know, whatever third party brokerage I pulled it for. I can't approach your customer. I can't approach the customer now. I'm not even allowed to. They do the same thing to brokers. You work right. for us. You can't go to any other brokerage. Yeah. Couple things real quick, Rob. Let me and I'll and I know you want to jump into. Um, first of all, you go out and you get a truck. What other in, what other business can you go out in? Go out in right with absolutely no customers, and just start going. Like you said that you were forced to do this when you went out and got your authority. Why didn't you get a customer before you went out and got your truck? Oh, we did. We attempted to. Okay. You so, know what we were told? They use third-party brokerages. Okay. And then, then you need to go through the third-party broker that we use. We use a third-party broker. That's right. what every response I received was for the first eight months when I was pers- – because I was pursuing this stuff back when – shit, back when I was still doing cattle, I was pursuing customers. And in cattle industry, there's a few brokers. There's very, very few. But then on the transport freight side – there was exuberant amount of, of brokerages. So literally when talking to a customer, when I pulled my own direct loads as a transport company and I would drop off, I would talk to the people receiving and said, hey, do you guys potentially have any backhauls coming back the other direction? They said, oh yeah, we go through a brokerage. So Contact let me ask you this and Cash, in that time, were you, like, were, did you, were they give you enough time that you could dive into that a little bit to say, I understand you're using the brokerages, but is there not a benefit? Like, you know, how come you couldn't convince them to give you a shot? Say, give me one shot to see if I can do better than what your brokerages can do. Right. And, and, and you can tell them that, and we've done that, right? You hit them up with follow-ons, you hit them up with, with responses while you're there. But when you have somebody, when you have somebody that's looking at this from a standpoint and saying, look, and you have a company Right. When I've got a uh, when you've got a client like, uh, for example, your Procter and Gamble people. Right. What's the likelihood they're going to give up who they work with currently? Right. What is the likelihood they're going to go to an outside carrier and only one sole carrier? It's very, very unlikely that that's ever going to happen. So when you're working with these people, right, like we figured out we had to start with mom and pops. That's what we did. We started with mom and pops and then we slowly worked our way into it. But it's what I'm getting at is the, the problem is when you're facing a third party brokerage. Right. When you're facing going to third party brokerages and and trying to take a customer or go and get a customer and they use a third party brokerage when they're so disproportionate with the amount of people, you know, it's one thing if you said, hey, let me bid your freight. I can tell them that, hey, let me, you know, give me a shot. Let me quote your freight. When they say, hey, I work with a brokerage currently, 
it's one thing because they're, you know, the brokerage is offering a service and I understand that service as a broker. I, I get what they're doing now, but what I'm getting at is from a standpoint, when you come in the door, when yeah. you're, when you're walking in the door and everyone you talk to works with a third party logistics company. That yeah. has no assets whatsoever. This is the one thing that, you know, my question would be then, yeah, if, you had a, if you had a situation where people that owned assets didn't pull for these third-party brokerages, the leverage and the whole table would flop over, right? And that's the situation where I have this, I have this, you know, I have a two-sided view to this because as, a, as owning my own carrier, mm -hmm the loads that have the most headaches and the most problems are dealt with when I'm dealing with a third party logistics company. That is the most headache I have is dealing with a third party logistics company because they don't know what they're doing because they don't know what they're moving because they don't know what the pro we had a load. We literally this week had a load that picked up from Houston on East side of Houston and ran to the West side of Houston, West side of Houston to the suburbs or somewhere near there. Going to the location to pick up when we got to the customer to pick up, oh, the delivery changed to Louisiana. Broker had no clue, never had an idea, never had a single ounce of, of knowledge about it, according to them. Dude, I have shippers that do that to me, just so you know. I was gonna say, well, Cash, that that <laughs> may you may blame the broker, but guess what? If you went back to the true history and actually got behind the scenes, and you'll see the original order said Houston to Houston. And then right after it's loaded, emails started coming through. The sales rep says, no, this has got to go to here. Often it is the customer. What about the cut? We can blame the customer for being disorganized. Why? How many times have I been in a situation? Right. So what I'm, but what I'm, I understand what you guys, where the point's going, right? Like what I'm getting at here, though, is there was a ton who paid, right? Truck order not used. Yep. Who dictated that? Who dictated what? Who dictated the tonu? Uh The contract in which you signed. Uh. Not always. No, oh, no, there was no, there was no dictation of Tanu in the contract. So what I'm getting at is who dictates it, right? You know, you negotiate if there's, if it's not, if there's no set out, uh, the, if the broker doesn't say we have a standard contract Tanu or it's not in your carrier broker agreement, then you negotiate. Right, okay. right. But, I, but to that point, who's responsible for the fuel? Who's already paid for the, for the fuel? To that get should be there? part who's of already the got the expense. That's that should be part of the tunnel. That should be the going, hey, look, I've already right. spent five hours of my time. Normally, I, if I, I got those, that, but who's left collecting on that, right? The third-party broker is just going to say, okay, no problem, and change the destination and go buy another truck, right? Go get another truck in, and they'll pay a tanu. What I'm getting at is, again, the skin in the game. The liability, the cost was incurred by the carrier who's now left to negotiate. Well, it, it's it's like, okay, well, <laughs> if if you're not out any money, and I'm the, you know, yeah, you'll be out money if I negotiate and if you agree to pay a tonu. But again, this is what I guess I'm, I'd go back to this then. I go right way back to the beginning. Let's say that like back in the beginning, you were talking about that someone can buy a truck, come onto the marketplace and work with someone that may or may not know what they're doing and may or may not know. Well, hang on a second here. If you're buying a truck for $100,000 or $220,000 plus your trailer and your insurance and everything else. And you haven't researched to understand what the spot market is about and who you're dealing with, then you didn't do your proper homework because you had the choice to say, I'm buying a truck. I'm not going to use the load boards. I'm not going to use brokers and I'm going to find my own freight. 
How that goes for you, well, it's hard to say. You might do well. You might take a long time because the reality What do you is, think the bankroll bet is on for these massive conglomerates right now? What, what do you think the bankroll bet is for them? The bet for them is you're going to have to take our freight because we have so much of it. We own the contracts. You'll have to take our freight. Understand that us bro brokers are also competing against other brokers. I, I agree. They are. I know they are. No, but they're no. all competing for a contract with the reliance being on. I have, no, I have not here. a single contract. And I move over. I move, I move a lot of freight. I have not a single contract with no signed contract with any customer. I, I don't do contract freight either, but I'm I'm specialized. But it's, I'm technically I'm under a contract from the but I'm not under contracted freight. So my customer has, puts me under a contract. But technically, every load that I quote is a, technically it's OK. What's how big is this? How big is this? And then I give them a price. There's no set. We move this for two dollars for me. Either. But you also you also say to have customers that don't will not work with a carrier. Uh, I have customers that or they would, they would work with a carrier. Uh, but the issue is, is the insurance and stuff that you have to have. And you have to be one of my customers. You have to basically the, the shipper has to basically say, yes, we want this person. So it's right. And I would say cash. My experience is that sometimes a customer realizes that I've had situ I've had it go both ways where they had five carriers, they call the five carriers to cover a load, sure. none of them can do it. And now they have their staff members spending all this time hunting for a truck. Then they realize, hey, if we have a good broker, uh, then we don't need to do that. We pass it to them, they do the work for us, as long as we, you know, they can get it. Then they, they, they may have some good and bad brokers that go through it, but it, you know, so that's, it comes down to the company, because I have, I, have, I have both sides of it. I have one customer that, it's a shopping. I know they're not calling me specifically for the quote. They're called, it's being broadcast to multiple people. Right. And I've got others where I know it's coming to me only. So that, so the point is you can choose and say to yourself, because not every broker freight that you see on the load board is contract freight that that broker has a contract. It's just that they're one, like remember, right? but they do have a non-compete. Uh, no, not with the most not with of the, them. Not, most not, of them have non competes. I'd be shocked to see some that don't. Not to use no, no. What I mean is that here's what happens majority of the brokers, like, unless it's a big, you know, the big brokerages that we know of, and I'm not going to advertise their names or anything, but we know who they are. Those are the ones where they have national accounts and they're the ones that did secure 25 loads out of Procter and Gamble or some, you know, loads of toilet paper, water, et cetera. But there's a whole whack of mid sized brokers that what they do is they've reached out to the logistics person, had enough of a relationship, their name is part of a list of 10 other brokers, and every morning they receive an email list of available freight from that shipper, and these 10 brokers or 12 brokers that are on the list are all vying for that freight, and they email with the best rate. Sometimes the customer will decide best rate, sometimes they'll say, oh, that person says they have a truck 20 miles away, They'll take that truck because it's here faster. The other one says, oh, I got a cheaper truck tomorrow. And they'll say, okay, fine. We'll hold that load and do it tomorrow because it's cheaper for us. And we're okay with that. So there's different factors. So the point is, there's no rhyme or reason. It's, it's based on the shippers because right. shippers are taking advantage of the marketplace. Because I know that like here I see in the comments, multi-transportation says, I don't use load boards. Let's take every owner operator that's out there on their own using load boards. Go two weeks 
Start tomorrow. No load boards. Yes. Will they make enough money for themselves? They won't. Because here's the reality. You can you can go out there and reach out to customers. I know of customers that you you can go there as a carrier. Guess what though? You're I, I have a I have I know of a particular uh, flatbed shipper. They'll take on you as a carrier. But guess what? They don't even work with brokers. They won't entertain brokers. But guess what? You can't use a, fl- a factoring company. And guess how many days they pay? 45 to 60 days. So you can go and get their loads. Sometimes they'll pay okay. Sometimes they pay cheap. And they have lots of loads available. But are, are, you, are you in a financial position to wait 60 days for payment? DIY has customers that will not let him use his brokerage. He, they only accept carriers. He has a brokerage. And they're like, they, they won't let him use it. They, they will only load his truck. And, 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 and understand, too, that when I go into a customer, a new customer, I'm not the first. They're probably using another 3PL. I still have to sell myself, right? So if you're going in there as a carrier, it, 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 you still have to sell yourself. Well, we use a brokerage. Well, I understand that. But what about what about plan C? I'm in this area. You know, you got to sell yourself like. I go in there and I, they're like, oh, we use big brokerages. And here I am as a small one. I still have to sell myself. So no matter what you're doing, it's that, you know, selling yourself as a carrier or selling yourself as a brokerage, it's still hard to get in that door. It's, it, it, you know what I mean? So I've had them say, well, we, ne- we don't use brokerages. And I've got them to use me. Because well, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, fully, I'm fully on board here, right? Like, so I'm not taking, I'm not taking just one site i'm trying to bring up the conversation to change the the dynamic of what gets talked about right because there's i'm i'm trying to play devil's advocate i guess is what we're doing right because and i agree you with know, you I we, think have, we have season we have season training it all comes down to training there's not enough training in the industry pure and simple. well and i think there has to be there has to be some level of um you know i'm 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 a big big fan of there being some level of liability brought on to a broker equally as well as a well, carrier shipper or receiver, right? I'm a full believer in that. This is what I got I, I got to put in. Understand in business, if I screw up, and let's say the shipper is my customer, let's say I screw up, I'm going to get sued by the shipper. I, I they're they're, they're going to sue me. Now it's my job to hire a lawyer and fight it, but in business, and what's your argument going to be? Depends on it. Depends on what the situation is. Likely Carmack, though, correct? It, it, it possibly could, but they could still sue me, and I'm still going to court, and I'm still going to have to fight it, and I'm still going to have to get a lawyer, and I'm going to still hope I get a good lawyer. Right. So there is still a liability. Now, winning sometimes. You might win the lawsuit, and in the end, you lose because it took all your money to try to just win the lawsuit. Right, it, but what I'm what I'm pushing for is a set liability on the federal level, as there has been for carriers, shippers, and receivers. Because Carmack, when it was written, well, what the prevalence of brokerages was not really there, right? So it's it's what I'm getting at is when you're when you're talking about. When we're talking about the liability, I'm saying from a federal level, I would like to see somebody ride in a, a, a situation where they do recognize brokerages, where they do hold brokerages accountable equally as much as shippers, receivers, and carriers because their involvement in that transaction 
is just as, if not more than, the carrier in a lot of aspects. Now, the granted, carrier puts the stuff on the truck and they do all that crap. I get that. But what I'm saying is... What? Okay. What? Where are we not? Like, something happens, you're going to get sued, correct? You may. If something happens... No, no. You as a carrier. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to get sued, too. You might. No, no. I will. That's the you, you might though they have circumvented they have circumvented and brokers have and it's actually a fact on statistics of how many brokerages have weaseled their way out of the liability and then in turn put the liability either on that broker or on the excuse me on the carrier or on the shipper and receiver. So what I'm getting at is when you have a when you have a conglomerate brokerage yeah with a large amount of wealth yeah dealing with legal ramifications of their actions to which there is no federal mandate holding them responsible as there is in carmack okay you have a situation where someone is more better or more well positioned to fight that legal battle and win than you do with a carrier who has carmack and only carmack as their backup right so what i'm getting at is there's 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 provisions in that Carmack that protect that carrier, five of them, but then the rest of it is a giant laundry list of shit that they're actually going to be on the hook for. Well, so all I'm saying is I just would like to see a broker brought in and spoken about as equally as they do a shipper, receiver, and a carrier because of their involvement. I can show you nuclear lawsuits that happen to lots of brokers. I, I, that's what. Look, I don't. Here's the thing. When it comes, a couple things. One. I don't need the federal government coming in and, and putting all this on there. Normal lawsuits and courts and stuff handle this every single day. Well, then I don't want it on mine either. If you well, don't need it, neither do I. Okay. So let's, uh, hang on. What is so what in, in regards to what, give me an example, I think of something that's put on you. Like what? As a carrier, oh, I mean, as a broker. well, as I mean the misrepresentation, right? So, they, they fi- yeah, right. They, they finally represented themselves and okay. they've gotten in a situation where they have this massive lawsuit. Finally, somebody did something about it. Carrier, what is the what obligation does the federal government put on you? What obligation don't they put on us? Every single facet of our business is, is restricted by the federal government. What, what give me one? Um, the level of quality of person that can even operate the equipment I operate to move that freight. Level oh. one. So basically, oh, so having a CDL. Right. What requirement is there to become a broker? Uh, the, what uh, training formally is there required by any federal standard to become a broker? No. Okay. Yes. I, I completely understand. I, right. I, so that, that's what I'm getting at, right? Is that the standard is crossed. You can let a 21 year old jack wagon into a brokerage and they can make a liability nightmare for everybody else involved. But on the carrier side, you have to have well-trained people or Correct. at least minimally federally trained people to operate the equipment and even be involved in that industry, right? They have a problem right now with non-CDL hotshots, which is a massive problem, but they're dealing with that, right? With box trucks and what have you. Correct. But, and I still even, I still hold the carriers responsible there. I still think that if you're in commercial business, you carry a commercial license, my, my point of view on it. But what I'm getting at is, 
I think there is a disproportionate amount of people who are involved in freight brokering and they are like these, like this girl I'm reading about on Facebook who has no idea what the cost of a carrier is, who has no idea what the cost of operations is, who has no understanding of what probably her job is and probably doesn't understand what Carmack is if she doesn't know what the cost of a truck is. Right. So that same person though is allowed in the door to mm -hmm. handle, handle, negotiate and dictate the movement of freight that is viable to everybody's national standing, right? And economic standing. How long do you think she'll make it? You know, on her own? Yeah. A couple months. A couple months, and then she's broke. Right. The right. Market but will could, she go, could she be hired and go to a large agency tomorrow? They have to, if they don't, they'll, again, they'll Def hire her, interview her, and if she screws up quickly, they'll realize that she was not the quality person that she explained to be. And then she'll be after she caused damage, but that's no different than uh, many other industries. Look at look at the airline industry, the traffic controllers, the airline air and, and airline traffic. They're federally regulated. Never been a pilot, but they do have a certain amount of training. Right, They're federally regulated. Right, but but I was going to say on the flip side of you saying that the brokerages don't have training, we agree with that. We can all agree with that. Yeah. I would also state we can say that there's a disproportionate amount of shippers who do not respect how other outside carriers, they don't consider we need to be efficient and get these trucks in and out. They have no care, no respect on agree. that. So again, there's no, if you open a business tomorrow and said, bring some trucks, you don't think about nothing. They don't, th this idea around the, the issue around vetting, that's where the brokerage does provide a layer of, of, of protection because we right. are at least verifying to some degree, even the worst broker is going to get a bad carrier that at least they have something these shippers could you could call them up and they you could give them a song and dance oh that sounds great and you send trucks in there and then they get the freight gets destroyed and then they find out that carrier actually didn't have no cargo insurance the bigger shippers do have things in place that you have to sign contracts to submit right. insurances but small unsuspecting new businesses who are also hungry just like a brokerage is to grow their business will take anything to get things moved and you know and then get you know, the hook, line, and sinker and get burned. Right. So, but part of that shipper and receiver job under Carmack is to go through a vetting, is to verify, is to ensure. How many of them the do that? They're moving. small. They don't do well, that. They might not do it. I'm not saying they might not do it. What I'm saying is there was a regulation holding them to that standard. Example, I'll put a simple thing. How many times have you seen a, a consignee sign in the driver box of a POD? Mm. Why is that? They should have enough. How many, how many drivers and shippers know there should be four signatures on a, on, on a shipment, right? At any time, there should be four shipments, four signatures, right? One, mm -hmm. the, when the shipper loads a truck, mm -hmm. driver signs saying, I've received said goods on my truck. Shipper signs, this has been loaded. We both, the driver and the shipper agree what's on the paperwork, the quantities and everything else is this. Then at the consignee, when he receives it, he inspects, signs the goods are received, driver signs that there is, my truck has now been unloaded and emptied. So there should be technically, because if there's multiple drivers, that's okay. One driver picks up, one delivers, but they should create a storyline. How many times do you see a POD and there's a little scribble somewhere and there's one signature somewhere and you don't even, can't even figure it out? Why? Right. Drivers don't have that drill down. Shippers don't like FedEx, at least at minimum, when they hand you a package, they say, what's your name? I say, Rob, they scribble down Rob. And then they, there's a timestamp at you know 6:12 p.m.
the package was received by Rob, right? At least there's that minimum, they have the standard. They, they direct you to do it. Often many drivers don't pay attention, they just hand the paperwork and the guy signs in the driver box. Well, why? <laughs> pay attention, they're not reading the documents, they're not paying attention to that. The sites, that's what I'm saying. The, the, there's so many moving right. parts. It's I know there is, the, that's, that's what I'm so saying. Many, so, but what, I'm, what, I'm, what I would be pushing for, again, what I call skin in the game, is an equal standard in which you hold people who operate in commercial commerce at the same level of liabilities. You keep people honest when you hold everyone to a standard. When there is not a set standard for a third-party intermediary person to be involved, we just mentioned all those signatures. Not one of them was the broker at all. Not one of them was the person who made the phone calls, negotiated the rates, who said, oh, yeah, man, it's just a couple bundles of pipe. Oh, no, nah, man, it's no tarp. Oh, no, nah, man, it's not this. Oh, no, nah, man, I'll pay you that detention. That person that's on the phone doing all that cacawing and parakeeting, right, that person has no liability as it stands so far today. What I'm saying is, and I, this is saying it as a carrier, as a driver, and as a broker. I think there would be on a, a, it's a giant disservice to not hold people to the same caliber of standard when you're operating and everyone's involved on the same type of load. There me, should be a standard. And I, I think, it, I, I think the, uh, I guess you're dealing with two better brokers because I look at it. I know it, I am. <laughs> you guys are the exception, bro. <laughs> Me and Rob probably both look at this and we say to ourselves, I am I, I am accountable for this. I'm not supposed to be, but it's like if this goes wrong, I could be sued or I could lose a customer or I have to pay. Like that's how I look at my loads, right? I, Rob, you kind of look at them probably the same way, right? Yeah, like I like I'll give, give you an example today. I have a fairly big customer with multiple branches. I had one branch that's had some issues and they're, they're, they've been quite behind on some payments. We've been waiting on it. And my company's been threatened collections to the point that today was the deadline. So I put out an email because there were seven other people from this company on this email. And I put out an email yesterday explaining like we have extended a significant, very significant amount of time for them to resolve this. Now I understand there's a whole bunch of backstory to it, but they need to get these paid because it could affect the overall account. Mm -hmm. So then someone, a couple of other people now got piped into the email this morning and this one person sent an email saying, well, all the invoices should be going to such and such email address and all this. And then, and, and I realized, cause right now we send them, we, I process the freight charges and it goes to each store for them to, you know, re, uh, assess and mm -hmm. then they get, they enter it and then it goes to the head office for payment. So I, I've, I've had a quick call with the fellow. I reached out to him. I said, can we have a quick call? And I explained some several reasons and concerns about this. I said, I, for me, I audit. I said, I, I, in fact, I hire a person to help me audit this business. If you have a question about any of my invoices, if there's an extra charge, a change, I will tell you everything. You'll see it. I have all the notes about every single shipment. However, I'm reaching out because some of the locations may or may not always use me, or they have different reasons that they're using an outside carrier. And if there's an extra charge, and I said, the other thing is sometimes I quote them at the beginning, Sometimes things change on a shipment and there's extra charges afterwards. And if the, if it bypasses this, the location and then they find out a month later that there was extra charges and that happens on 10 shipments, that hits the store bottom line. And then right. I, I explained a bunch of different reasons. And guess what? Within an hour of that call, they said, continue. We're going to, thanks for the call. We're reviewing the process. And after further discussion, please continue the process you've been doing until further notice. I, I adverted that company 
potentially pay, overpaying thousands of dollars by that interest and by my experience. And I leveraged my experience to this person who had no idea who I was. But I had I have very, very deep knowledge of my customer's business and how things work and how I'm integrated in it. And I explained from their perspective how to protect these locations from being overcharged. And so when I explained all this, I fixed the situation. And so the point is... And real quick, Rob, were the carriers already paid? Yes. Yeah, carriers were paid. They were out of that situation. Rob wasn't, but they were. Well, our in company, that, in we're that talking, situation, but I mean, you cash, also... Cash, we were talk, we're talking one year of late payment. One year we haven't been paid. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I get it. What I'm, what I'm saying is to the, to the flip side of this coin, right? When you have, again, taking you two out of the scenario. Yeah. Taking the exception, good Lord. Taking you two out of the scenario. Sounds like you got a... Wasn't there, wasn't there, Sage, was there not a person who claimed that some carrier stole his freight and he wasn't going to pay the carrier? Yes. Right. So what I'm getting at is to every wonderful few brokers there are, which I I have the pleasure of talking to you guys here. Thank you. Thank you. There are, there are a mass majority of those carriers or of those brokers like you know, Sage, and like I know, who have zero understanding of what they're doing, zero understanding of Carmack, zero understanding of what their rights are and are not. We had a, we had the same situation literally with Angela. Yes. That same situation I showed you, I was talking about it with you. The same situation where she literally told me that we had to remind the broker of their position in this whole transaction. Correct. And because they were being told they weren't going to be paid, the broker refused to pay them, Right. And then the broker topped them up and said, yeah, you got a claim. So you're going to have a claim. And they had to refer to Carmack and say, well, listen, without payment, there is no standing for a claim. Correct. You can't make a claim if you haven't paid us for the work we've done. Right. And sure. so, yeah. right. So what I'm getting at is that lack of, of understanding on that side of things should be held to some responsible level other than just intercompany dynamics. There has to be some more legal ramifications for a third-party logistics company to be involved when they handle, possess, and move as much freight as they do. When you have a massive conglomerate involved who has a massive amount of money and moves billions of dollars of freight but mm -hmm. has no federal legal standings of, of formal um, prosecutable standing to be held against, right? We do. Like well, I, I have, some degree. I have to vet. That is my job. But you right. do. There is, a, there is, there is no. You look at the state of California. They find two brokerages. I guess now it's coming up two years ago. Correct. For failing, there was Roadrunner Logistics was one. I can't remember the other. And they were fined a couple. Like so, DOT stopped two trucks. And after investigating, these trucks were not carb compliant for Cal for the state of California. Mm -hmm. So the state of California could have just find the carriers and moved on. But they find the carriers and they said, how did you get the freight to bring you to California? Yeah. Well, we, book, we booked it with so-and-so. Right. So the state of California find those brokers. Correct. For, for yeah. failing to vet the brokers. So there, At a state so there level. Is that, there is that. No. There, it, can, it, can be, it can be happening. And I agree with you. It all comes down to no different than you, you cash. Let's say you go through this process. You're hiring. You find an agent. And you got them maybe even helping with some of your existing loads. 
and they fail, you had a list of instructions for a specific customer that you serviced and you were busy and you thought, you know what, this person is doing pretty good. I think I can trust them to book this load for me. They book the load, they fail to give all the instructions and an accident occurs. Something happens and it comes back and says, well, it's on the load confirmation. And you realize your, your employee did not put that information out there. Now you're on the hook. Just as much as the carrier, the shipper can be suing you because you failed to provide the instructions and the carrier can say, I was never provided those instructions. So now your cargo, your uh, contingent liability insurance kicks nope. in full gear. Right. What And so what I'm getting at here is I want transparency, right? I want full transparency. I want to be able to use Carmack. I want a broker not to be able to waive my rights to that. I want to be able to have the broker held to the same standards of understanding of freight transportation and how the process works as I am. I okay. want there to be some minimum level of education that's required of somebody before they can even get involved. The with problem is, freight. I think DIY has said this before. Transparency is a race to the bottom. It is. I will say For that. What? In what regard? Because. Here's the reality. If you want full transparency on the entire process and everything happening, well, shippers, they're not fully transparent to brokers about everything. Absolutely. They play games with other brokers. They'll leverage, oh, well, this broker, hey, we like you. So you know what this broker's doing? If you could do it for $300 less, we'll give you that load. They're playing games behind the scenes as well on the process. Shippers don't, there's, there's a, we know there's a lot of great shippers that they have all kinds of processes. You got to check in that security gate. Then you, they'll tell you, go to, they, they say, check in here. You got to give your pickup number. They go to the shipping office. They give you some, uh, a buzzer, then back into door 62, chalk your wheels, disconnect your fifth wheel, put the airlock on. They have 15, you know, they have 25 procedures. There's a next shipper has zero procedures, no check-in policies. It's simple. It's easy. So there, to, to have that transparency, be careful what you wish for, because now with drivers, that means then if you want that full transparency, brokers are going to push that we want better transparency on tracking and tracing of loads. You know how much I fight on that? You know how many carriers are not good at tracing? They oh. complain about brokers. There's a lot of broker carriers that are not good at tra tracking and tracing. And so, um, you know, and how many carriers then if, if you want full transparency, then you're going to you're asking for when a carrier cancels last minute because why? Oh, my truck broke down. Say, I want proof of that. I want proof they that you asked for that. Yeah, they do they ask do me. Ask how many carriers that. say, oh, well, my God, they, they'll lie and cheat and they'll because they found a better load. They just cancel on you. You want to know how bad it is? You want to know how bad it is? Real quick. And and I, I got to technically cut this one off, but I we might, we're obviously going to do it again. It's so bad. I talked to my Landstar driver and my Landstar driver was moving um, apples out of Washington going to Indianapolis. Okay. So he was paying this much money. There was a carrier that it's supposed to be driven. There was a carrier that was taking that load on a trailer, taking it over to the rail, putting it on the rail, and shipping it by the rail. And he had another truck in Indianapolis pick it up at the rail. But the problem is the rail takes like two weeks, man. Right? These are apples. They got to get there. You know what I'm saying? So, And so what he was telling the Landstar guy is my truck broke down. Right. Oh, we're still waiting for parts. We're still waiting for this. He's putting it on the rail. Because the Landstar driver basically hired someone and said, do me a favor and follow this truck. <laughs> Just tell me where he took it to the rail. The, and now, guess what? I've got you, that claim gets put. Uh, that 
they're going to say, you know, when claims aren't paid, there are times that shippers want to sue the brokers. The other thing about the transparency then is you got you got the, there's carriers that have big brokerages and what they do is if they have percentage paid owner operators, they will take a load that they have from the carrier, sell it to the brokerage, and then offer that from the broker at the 80-20% of the brokerage rate, not the carrier rate, the customer rate. So then they're burning these owner operators. And yeah, they do it all the time. That was the whole reason AB5 was trying to be put in place was right. to stop So the, 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 it's a significant, the problem is at the end of the day, the, I, in my, from my perspective, because I'm too small as myself and my group of what I do. Correct. And, and even though I'm part of a bigger network of, of a brokerage and we have, you know, our, um, there's people in my brokerage that are quite involved at federal levels and, and top levels. There's people within our company that are well connected at many levels and working with the federals on different levels because they're board members of certain organizations that are working on things uh, where they've had last year, uh, they, they sent, they do weekly reports and they're reporting from in front of the White House. Like we have people, I got, you know, people in high places that are, there's a lot more happening behind the scenes than you may believe. You may think things aren't happening, but there's things happening that you may not realize. So the point is, as, as far as us going, the only thing I can say that Cash does or Sage does or myself or any other small right. carrier or broker starting out, if you're a carrier op- opening a brokerage or an, is training, cannot it, emphasize yeah. enough training. 100 what it all, How you no, structure I mean, your business is going to determine what your perception of other people are for your, so if you, if you change how you have the people coming on and the level of training that you say to them that this is, I'll pay you, I'm going to, I'm committing that once you, you're going to put a significant vetting process to hire people on. And sometimes hiring people from a non-trucking background is a benefit. How many times, um, take a look at uh, the CrossFit. They just hired a new CEO. Look at his background. He was a Marine. He was, he, he got his master's in something. I can't remember what university. Uh, he's, he was CEO of Pinterest, CEO of uh, like a few different, like five or six big, massive companies. He's owned, he was a CEO of, CFO for another big company. And now he got assigned as the role of CrossFit CEO. So there's a recent interview, if you look it up, and very interesting fellow. So, and I remember working in positions where people came in as outside people at upper levels, they didn't do the grunt work along the way because they weren't hired for that. They were coming in with big picture things. So to say that someone has to be a driver to become a broker, I believe if you took five drivers who have 10 years experience and throw them in a brokerage, they will fail. I guarantee you. No, I agree. I think what I'm, what I'm saying here though, is there again, the skin in the game is the legal ramifications that are the, that the federal level responsibilities. But that's on, are, but I think we have to distinguish though, because it has to be on the broker, not the broker agent and employees, because it's no different than GM. They have legal liabilities when they're building a car. If they hire a new the employee, you know, but let's take GM, let's say, or any, or Ford or any car production company, there's li- there's legal liabilities to build a safe car and pass tests. They right. hire someone new, they did all the training, safety training, women's for inside the warehouse, all of that stuff. And this new employee on their first day after being trained is finally on their own. And they discover after 50 cars that day, they put a bolt on the wrong side or in the wrong direction or at the wrong tension. They right. now have to stop who's, who's, who's being impacted. Not that employee. It's on whether 
the, the car manufacturer is going to let that slide or they're going to have to stop production, go back and fix all those 50 cars to prevent, to prevent a multi-billion dollar lawsuit. Right. Because so, that's a perfect example. Like, I'm the broker. Let's say Rob worked for me. I, I have to take the hit. And I, that's because Rob is not – he's decided to allow me to take the hit because he's only making a commission rather than 100%. But I'm right, still so representing – if, if you gave, right, it, let's say that car manufacturer used a third party. Okay. If that car manufacturer uses a third party and makes the third party waive their rights to protections, right, and they're legally allowed to do so, then the car manufacturer can skate and throw the blame wherever they like. And this is what I'm getting at when I say the federal level protections that are are granted to a carrier should never be allowed to be waived out by a broker who has no skin in the game and no federal holdings, right? And so what I'm getting at is, at, at the end of this, I completely agree with training, 100%. What I'm saying is, when we talk about saying the trans that transparency is a race to the bottom, is kind of like saying, well, this is a shit sandwich. We can do nothing about it. Let's just eat it anyway. Well, it's, it's it's kicking the can down the road, and it's a, it's just another way of somebody saying, well, we're not big enough to deal with it. Let's throw it down somewhere else. Let's not change this. Let's not do anything to fix our industry. Let's just keep dealing with a pile of shit, you know, and let's just keep doing it until we can't do it any further. And what I'm getting at is if you hold everybody in a federal, you know, because, Sage, you've talked about it before, about how the federal just the federal dependence on transportation and logistics, how crucial that is on every level, nationally, globally, what have you. Absolutely. But when you have somebody in that environment who's allowed to operate in that environment and the, the, the standings of what they're held to is not equal to, or they're given allowances that are not crossways given, right? When you give one an allowance to waive somebody else's rights to rights that they are allowed to have, that is a problem. When you give somebody who has not entitled to rights the right to remove rights oh, from I... somebody who is entitled, that's a problem. So what I'm getting at is I want I want an equal key, even keel of, of standard that everybody in, in at order a minimum. For that to, to happen, Cash, is this in it not just be the brokerages? Because there's a lot of uh, larger manufacturers and shippers that have their own internal logistics departments that doesn't they do not use brokerages, they're working with the mega carriers. Right. So therefore, those. So basically, if you're a buyer and you're if you're a buyer of pipe, buyer of whatever commodity for a company, and you're also contacting trucking or freight brokerages for quotes on freight, anyone that has to touch, whether it's a brokerages, logistics, buyers, the warehouse personnel, anyone that has to call a truck or a broker for a truck should have that just no different than having a Wemis course or, or hazmat course. There might be, yeah, maybe that's what it has to be. There's a basic level of knowledge, just like hazmat, that you have to have a card and every three years or five years, you got to do a renewal to ensure you're staying up to date on the current trends. But that's a multi-billion dollar investment mm -hmm. for yeah. someone to create such a course that everyone goes through. Now it could be an online that, that creates a whole nother industry. Just like when you do dangerous goods courses, there's multiple I mean, you have to, you have to have it in transportation to even haul hogs you have to yeah. know how to do safe handling of hogs how is it that a broker or an agent doesn't have to have a minimum level of education going into this i agree 100 uh, percent. 
and I agree that uh, basically, in my opinion, the only person that can waive Carmack would be the shipper. So if I handed you a piece of paper that says the shipper requires you to waive Carmack, that, in my opinion, that would be legal, right? Sure. I can put it in my contract, but on the shipper's letterhead with the shipper's info on it, and he says, hey, they're asking you to waive Carmack for you to haul this load. To me, that's the way it needs to be done. I, I agree with you that I, as a broker, should not be able to have you waive Carmack. Only the shipper has to have it on their letterhead. But I think that only larger shippers understand Carmack. I think there's a lot of companies out there that truly do not understand it. Right. Oh, and absolutely. It, but and I, it, that's the problem. It dictates all of us whether we understand it or not. And ignorance is bliss, right? Ignorance is ignorance. Right. And if you know, well, and I just feel like there's when you have a massive conglomerate brokerage. And I've, I've dealt with these two that waive their, you know, want you to waive the rights to Carmack and everything else. And then want to put a non-compete on top of that. When you have an unfair advantage, right? I've always been surprised that the contract between a brokerage goes to a carrier. It's a one-way directional street. And it never seems to be that a carrier is trying to turn around and hold the, 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 the broker. Oh, no, there's, don't, don't, don't keep yourself. There are. No, I mean, on the larger levels, there are. Larger levels, there are. I'm not saying on the larger levels, there aren't. What I'm saying is on all levels below right. that, for the mass day-to-day -day people, the, again, the 96.4% operating with their 20 trucks and less, these people that are comprising the majority of our marketplace don't. Well, one solution what, then is at a federal level, one solution could be this. Take common carriers. If you're a common carrier, what defines you as a common carrier is that you have a published tariff, right? Exactly. So when a broker works, when I as a broker work with a common carrier, our broker agreement is null and void. We work with, we have to accept and understand the tariff for each carrier. If I go and book a load with Schneider Intermodal, and I've got several other intermodal carriers that I use, but mm -hmm. Schneider Intermodal does not sign our contract. We accept their terms. Right. So why can't that's maybe the next level is how do you get, because they list out how it works. If there's a load that's heavy, say they, it's too heavy and it goes for scale, they have charges, they list out. Before you book a load with Schneider, you know they have a whole presentation about load securement. So most shippers, when they say, well, can't we do rail? I'll say, you can do rail, but your yeah. facility is not qualified. You're, you're far from being ready to do rail. Are you prepared to buy the wood, buy the Tyvek, buy the inflatable bags, have all right. the tools and the training required to meet the standards for to for your freight to withstand the rigors of, of rail freight. You're not Do you even have a rail spur at your location. <laughs> no, no, for for intermodal drayage. For intermodal. You, hey, you no, don't need no. that for intermodal, but like for Schneider Intermodal, you know in advance what you're paying the driver for wait times. You know in advance if there's a tonneau charge. You know every charge in advance and it's non negotiable unless you can prove absolute that what the driver was false. Maybe he sat in the yard. They tried to charge you detention and the shipper says, no, he signed the document here and he went and sat in his truck for 45 minutes and he forgot to punch out. So the, the Schneider system sees that as detention. They charge detention. We show that differently. So those are the things that, that maybe that would, that would bring a lot of that solution to is when if the FMCSA would allow, have provisions that has to be met, then a carrier can have a published that a private, hauling carrier, not a common carrier, but allow that rollover from the rail industry and the LTL industry to get implemented to the private truck industry with tariffs. So I can go to your website, your trucking website, and I see your tariff up front 
what your charges are. And that would maybe salute some of the stuff there because then this way it's back to what Sage said a long a couple the last time we got chatting where if a carrier wants if, if I have one carrier that charges $150 an hour detention charges and the next carrier wants $100 and that's the best suited carrier for the load I have to go to my customer and saying look I got this carrier but they're going to charge $100 an hour if we go over two hours and the customer say yep that's no problem we'll pay that if they're all in the greens we're in the greens Right. So that so there's so I think it comes down to the training and it really comes down to, again, if you're frustrated as a carrier, we're not going to fix the FMCSA and or the industry. The only thing you can do is fix. You say to yourself, what brokerages you what brokers you want to work with? Because think about it for yourself. You open a brokerage. It, it's not as easy as. Yeah. Is it easy to get your broker MC and your your authority to say you're a broker? Yeah. But are your doors being knocked down? every day that you have so many calls that you need to hire 10 staff today to keep up with your demands doesn't work that quick. It's a process. And what the other thing that if you want to help control this, what's the biggest issue that we've seen? What's the biggest way to grow as a carrier or a brokerage? What's the fastest way to grow in your mind? If you want to get 10 trucks tomorrow, what, how do you grow? If you're not, as long as you're not in California. <laughs> no, but any other, if you want to grow as a company, what's the fastest way? Acquisition. No, acquisition. You go out and buy. How do you think when you're, uh, what, what, what's the biggest thing? If you look back in time, how many mergers and acquisitions? Swift, Knight? Yeah. If you, you look up, if all not, you have to look up is, is acquisitions, carrier acquisitions 2021 in the United States, there's probably 300. Right. If you got the money to buy somebody else out. Yep. So that, that's, what, that's how you grow. If you want to add 10 trucks, your best bet is to find three small carriers and say, I'll buy you out. But did you check in advance what the qualities and their skill sets are? And do they meet your demands and how much work you're going to have to do to bring them into your network and your infrastructure and all of this, right? So that's the thing. Like, you know, there's another way around it. You as a carrier can keep working as a carrier. You got your brokerage. If you're don't want to, if you have lots of opportunity with your brokerage, but don't have time to manage all this, a simple solution would be is you find a company similar to the brokerage I'm with or another a broker that has agents like you could be a carrier and sign up to a broker as an agent and you got the best of both worlds without having to do both you got them this way if you're one person because right now for you you're, you're doing it all you're managing your truck you're managing the brokerage you're doing all the ap on both sides but let's say you're a one-person truck and you're like man i've got these customers that i got a good relationship with i'm only one truck but they're willing to give me some freight i don't have time for all this i can book the loads but then the managing and the you know the payments and all this stuff. Instead, you go become a, a broker agent for another one, taking what Sage says have a brokerage. This way, you can still do it. Uh, we have people within our the brokerage I work under. We have some of them that have warehousing. We have some that have trucks. We have we have like we have various types of agents, and it you know they, we we even have a Landstar agent if you believe it, because they use land, the Landstar trucks for one specific con customer that they have, and the rest of their freight they book under the brokerage. So there, there's multiple ways to, to, to look at it. And then having a bigger brokerage solves you a lot of legal issues, because like yourself, you add three more people, you really need some legal people around you, because you have to really, really understand how your agents may or may not impact you. And also, you have to think about you're busy managing your truck. Like for me, let's take for for a, sec, uh, for a second here. If I wanted to, let's say I had a, I was on the verge, um, verge of getting a, a big contract, but I need some clout. 
I have to run the meeting, but I can call my head office. I can get, if they're available, the president and CEO, possibly the owner if necessary, really necessary. I get the sit, we have a VP of sales and we have a couple other VP top people, like corporate people that will fly to my city or meet me in the city where my customer's at. I have to run the presentation, but they'll provide some background, some culture. So there's four or five of us standing in front of this customer to help secure this business. Can you offer that level where you can help? Your, how much time can you do if you had three people and they're like, okay, I'm ready to get this deal, but they want to have a meeting. They want to have, and you're trying to run your truck. It's hard. I mean, what you're doing, you're, you're, pulling, you're pulling yourself six ways sideways and you're doing it very well, right? Granted, you're doing it as, you know, you're, you're very methodical and you're capable of doing all this, but not a lot of people can handle that. That's where I say, like, to say that a driver, you have to be a driver, become a broker. Can you have, if you've never stood up in front of a, a team of a, a CEO of a company and trying to sell the CEO of a company, it's kind of like that, you know, sell me this pen, right? Sell me this pen. And there's a lot of salesmanship is a, it's a hard thing. Like some people have a knack, they're smoothers, but there's, but real salesmanship where you're building trust, you're building, you know, you're growing with the customer that you go through the levels. Right. I, I have a little tool that I use that I've gone with, that I've been trained with, that I've still sits with me that I was trained with. Because why? You, you know, there's a foundation level, the collaboration level, the alliance level. Right. And there's, there's, there's like when you get to that alliance level, you have personal commitment, shared decisions, shared risk. You speak with one voice. You represent your company. When you call, when I call my customers, I call, I'm on, calling on behalf of, I'm representing them. Right. I respect them, and sometimes I find out information, then I communicate that back to my customer, like, hey, I spoke to so-and-so, and they fed this back, that maybe someone should reach out to them, and so forth, right? So it, there's, and, and, and that's why, like, at the end of the day, this industry needs a whole bunch of people. We need, we need those drivers that are the dedicated drivers. They're the best. They, they safely check the equipment on a daily basis. They run safe. They do all the things properly. They pick up, they deliver. They don't mess around. They're just great drivers. Then you need, but don't, we don't want those because the problem is if you have every one of your drivers aspiring to grow to grow, well, that's okay. But then it's on you to constantly hire new people and train, 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 train. Whereas it's nice to have four or five of your staff that are long-term staff, trustworthy. When you can call Sally or call John, hey, I got a project from you. Can, I, can you do it? Yeah, no problem. I know what to do. Done. And when you give it to that person, you trust because they've done it for you time and time again. We need those people in this industry. Well, on that note, I think I'm going to have to end it here. We've been going like three hours. Yeah. Lastly, here, real quick, Sage, show that screen again. I just wanted to show Cash this. Uh, yeah. Let me pull that up. So this, Cash, back to when we were talking about not knowing cost and so forth. Well, this is a tool that I created. No one else taught. I created this. That I created this little calculator that, you know, things that it shows. I calculate line haul, deadhead. I put in... The fuel economy, depending on what truck it is, it could be, I can switch this to say five miles per gallon. I put say the average price of fuel at the origin destination works out to 550. And so we say there's 700 miles in the load, uh, five miles to the gallon is gonna be 140 gallons at 550. So your fuel cost is 770. Okay, you're paying your, if I assume, okay, some this, this carrier might charge the driver, pay, it's an owner operator, they're paying them $25 for the pick and the drop, so it's 50 bucks there. The deadhead was a buck a mile, Rate per mile, say maybe it's dropped. It's three bucks a mile now, not three thousand three hundred, three bucks a mile. Then I can say if the, there's carrier profit, let's say the carrier wants an extra ten percent on there, then 
let's say it's a, I want to say if I know that's probably an owner operator, say they're doing an 80-20 split. So that means that basically I need to charge the carry, the cost of this load is about 2,400 bucks on this load for seven bucks, 700 miles. You've taken all this into consideration, right? Then you, you know, because I can see how much the percentage to the carrier, to the driver, the rate on all miles for the driver and the rate, rate per mile for all miles, right? And that, this then converts over to cents per mile. I created it so that I, it translates it all the way through. See, cents per mile, you need a little bit more money the way it works out and then so forth. So the idea is that I just, I have some tools that maybe not everyone's doing it and I can share with you, you can ask Sage, I can, one day I got some information that I could share with you that will help you with your brokerage to can, some considerations for training. But I've got some other things too for you that I would talk to you off screen about that, again, if you're adding agents, some things to consider um, that I can share with you that will, if you're growing just to protect yourself, but I have some tools to help show you what I, I've created and it, you, whether you say, you know what, I like that idea, you can spin off of it or, or copy and paste a little bit of what I've done. But I just know that adding agents is a, it's a big step. It's a big leap. There's a lot. You really, really got to interview those folks. Like, unless they're coming in with a book of business. If they have a book of business and then you look at the customers and you can get credit approval and all it is is getting them set up with the computers and, and all that stuff, the emails and the whole process there, that's one thing. But adding on staff, big, big thing, really big thing. It, you got to have a, you got to, you know, a solid interview process. And that's where that tool I can share with Sage is the, uh, the video interview process where you can, uh, you know, have them, they have to pre, you, you don't waste time doing an interview until they've done this. Once they've done this, then you can get into the more, you know, if you like what you see there, then they can get into the deeper interviews uh, from there. Cause it's, it's really got to be uh, a process there and seeing, cause I mean, there are some very creative ways in which you can add agents because um, we have some very, we have people that that's what their job is. They just, they're focused on it. We have a whole, you know, just recruiting agents, uh, people, and they've, they've had, it's amazing who they've hired. We have teams, like literally a team of people that have joined where they have three people in an office and they're cooking with freight. And so there's people with freight out there. It's just a matter of finding them. And when you're a small brokerage, it's hard because you don't have all the, you, you know, you just don't have all the tools yet. But if, if you want uh, Sage can connect me and with my number. He's got my number. If you ever want to chat, we can. I can just share with you my insights. Like I've been doing a lot of years, and I can share with you things that we do that you may not be able to do now, but it would be part of that process. That I can just share some insight that will help you. I just wanted to. You're 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 a hard worker, and uh, there's no question about that. And I don't want you to get burned. There's a, there's there's agents out there that. If you look, uh, I've seen it, and I've seen it on various things, and I can share again. But I know that there's agents that try to find unsuspecting brokerages, and they try to pull fast ones, and and because you know they you don't want number one, even if they're not the greatest person, but just not to mis misrepresent your company so that your company name is not mush out there, especially as a broker, right? So, with that, you can yeah. So that uh, yeah, let uh, Sage close out. Yep, I'm going to close out here so my wife can yell at me. All right, so I'm going to end this one here, guys. Uh, thanks for coming on. Um, I'm going to go ahead and cut to the music. And like I said, well, welcome to the Logistics Show. Uh, as always, stay safe. Sage out. I'm going to get the camera out. Rumor has it. Rumor has it. I'm a savage. I'm a savage. Drop the classic. Drop the classic. Thinking back. Drop the classic. Drop the classic. To establish. To establish. That the magic. That the magic. It's automatic. Got a mask. Got a mask. Who 
was at him. Living legend, lethal weapon. Mastermind, never tired. Tell him all, tell him Big dreams, I got big dreams since like baby. I've been joining forces with the likes of an 18. Jumping off of buildings used to be so stimulating. Now I'm reaching new heights. I'ma need the off-whites. Play with the fire, you get burned. All of my struggles became lessons well learned. I got his eyes that keep me grounded, that's for sure. Cause one day we gon' make it out this earth. Where's your worth? Tell I'm sick of your talking, you got the wrong one. I'm taking your king and I leave him broken. If I am in second, it's after no one. Just give me a 